Luke McLeod is a data solutions lead at Data Engine, a data consultancy company. As a solutions lead, he understands the data ecosystem well and uses his understanding to consult and strategize suitable data solutions for clients. Luke's expertise in data adds to his already big and diverse set of skills, of which were developed having worked as a business analyst, management consultant, and as a co-owner of the meatball food truck business. Personally, it was fascinating to talk to Luke who's had a very different path to end up in the data scene to a lot of data folks whom I'm used to seeing. As data becomes more and more integrated into our workplaces, I come across more and more people with diverse backgrounds, bringing different and interesting perspectives. In this episode, Luke and I had an extended conversation about owning a food truck business, his path to being a data solutions lead, an overview of the data ecosystem, and even how to cook great meatballs. In the description, I have put the timestamps for each of these topics. If you enjoy listening to long-form conversation with diverse and interesting guests like Luke, consider subscribing to the podcast on whichever platform you're listening to this. You can also follow the Instagram page at everythinggoeswithpascal. I post highlight clips on there, and we can also connect there too. This is Everything Goes With Pascal podcast, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Luke McLeod. Yeah, I just saw you on LinkedIn. Yeah hosting a podcast and i was like wow that's really cool like, yeah cool to see pascal doing something that's mm. um i don't know that not many people that i know are doing and so i hit the like button <laughs> <laughs> that's when you fell into my trap look. yeah yeah <laughs> he's like anybody that likes it exactly them on the <laughs> that's my goal you know <laughs> that's my goal start with one post see who like it yeah you know and then interview them <laughs> see who likes this one <laughs> uh, it should be interesting yeah like i was saying before this is my first time being on a podcast so. first of many i imagine yeah hopefully yeah, yeah. i love talking shit basically exactly yeah. and you're into podcasts too we're talking about that before yeah yeah um just the classics you know joe rogan mm. i feel like it's almost cliche to like Joe Rogan. <laughs> it's like uh, almost some people's character. Yeah. You're like, I listen to Joe Rogan, you know. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's two responses. Either people are like, oh, this guy gets it. <laughs> or they're like, oh, fuck, Joe Rogan's just a, like a monkey, you know. He's a very controversial figure. Yeah. That's what I found out. Which is weird, I think, because he interviews such a broad range of people, you mm. know. It's not always conspiracy theorists or you know edge um people on the edge of society with like weird thoughts or anything like that yeah so, sometimes he's interviewing like uh respected physicists and that kind of stuff so, absolutely yeah. no absolutely and i think i've heard some people of oh, some some of my friends who tell me like almost like warning me about me being a fan of joe rogan right. just making sure like you know uh because i guess they have their own perception mm. about him and hit what opinions that he has and yeah. the kind of the positions that he stands but i have to say so far that all the people that i got warn warnings from about joe rogan are people who don't listen to him on a regular basis yeah and i find that really interesting yeah that is a um that's a really interesting thing to raise because yeah. i find that a lot of people just take what other people say and then add it to their thinking mm. instead of actually engaging with it and then deciding for themselves. 
Um, I don't know if you saw um, Chappelle's uh, um, recent comedy show. No, I haven't seen it, but I've heard some controversy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'll put the mic closer. Look, sorry, yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm new. I'm new. To do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like uh, I guess we watched it in the lockdown, mm. and and like he, he definitely makes some, like, I guess, on the edge jokes about yeah being transgender or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too into it, but. We watched the whole thing, and I was like, oh, I was like, okay, yeah, he's got some interesting ideas there on like how it all works, mm. um, and then loads of people we spoke to were just like, nah, cancelled, like no way, you can't listen to that guy anymore, like he's so offensive, like doesn't understand in like what the struggle is or whatever, and you're like, oh, did you did you listen to it? And they're like, no, yeah, and you're like, oh, okay, well, how did you how did you come to form this opinion? Yeah, so yeah, it's just. It's funny how you can't, some you can't even listen to it or watch it without being tainted by the, I don't know, the general consensus of of who that person is seen to be in society or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think these days is difficult in in kind of two senses. The first sense is like there's so much content to consume, mm. so it would be difficult for everyone to you know see the news like mm. headline. Yeah. You know, Dave Chappelle. Is racist. Dave Chappelle is offensive. Yes, whatever, yeah. and then it would be difficult to check every single one of those headlines. Um, but and and on top of that, I feel like a lot of people are being fed all this kind of news, you know, through so much content that comes out of it. Like you know, there's a, there are shorts mm. explaining why he's he's a racist. Yes, yeah. And there are comments explaining why he's a like you know offensive. Yeah. Um, and you know, this is I'm just talking Dave Chappelle as a general person of yeah. topic here. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like it's e- easy to think like, okay, I've seen enough shorts, mm. you know, which is highly curated, as, yeah. as a lot of people know. But when you're watching it for several hours per day, you don't think if it's, you, you, it's not even a question to ask if it's curated or not. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's easy to th- easy to think like, okay, Joe Rogan, um, you know, who's a white male who's bold, who's, you know, big. Yeah. So he fits the stereotype of certain narrative. Yeah. And plus he's talked to people that fits that narrative, like known to for that narrative. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to kind of box them into things and and therefore box people, you know, who likes them, who enjoys yeah. their content in, th- in things as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think it goes both ways, right? Because you can be curated from... I don't know, I'm going to use general terms here, but like the left. Um, and it's like, oh, you know, yeah, like I guess we'll keep using Joe Rogan as the example. Mm. You get all of that um, uh, confirming information fed to you by shorts um, and you're getting all of your other, I guess, news and um, uh, pop culture um, updates through this like left filter but then people that sit on the other side they're also getting the same stuff possibly even the same creators but the shorts are like slanted in a different direction mm. so they are getting all of the confirming stuff saying like oh you know like um jordan peterson he's great you know look at these like really practical things that he's telling people and, and then like look at joe rogan he, he's he he knows what's up with the world like he aliens ufos yeah (laughs) ancient apocalypse like 
he's got it on lock. He knows what's up. Um, and then those two people can't <laughs> like find a middle ground because everything that they're watching and consuming is so like, uh, I guess, seen through one particular lens, and the other the other person's getting it from the other side. And so it's really, I feel like it's really hard to be in the middle these days. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, because I was saying before that all the people that have war- warned me against, you know, Joe Rogan yeah. um, are people that don't consume his content in the regular on a regular mm-hmm. basis. At the same time, my opinion of Joe Rogan that I tell myself is someone who consumes his content on a regular basis. Yeah. So I'm going to have bias on that sense too, yes, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, because I'm used to seeing him, because I'm used to hearing his opinions, yeah. maybe I, you know, I have a bias on my own. Yeah, know, for sure. That, so. Yeah, you do have to be conscious of your own, what you're thinking and like, yeah. what are the things that are informing the way that you sort of see the world. Otherwise, yeah, like... Yeah, otherwise you will get stuck in one of those two sides yeah. where you can't like bridge the gap. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't know, like it feels like it's driving a real bad culture and you can see it playing out in somewhere like the United States quite, mm. um, I guess, um, it's happening in a really obvious way for them because, yeah. you know, you're a Democrat or a Republican and there's no like, there's no mixing. You can't be one way or the other way you're always one of the two yeah yeah well you and you like joe rogan and jordan peterson and like all these other sort of like fringe or fringe (laughs) people or you don't you know and like you can't you can't be like oh well i actually like some of joe rogan's content you know some of it's not what i'm into like um and and so you end up with this polarized community um and it's working for the, uh, I guess, the media, you know, conglomerates and the big, uh, the big players in, in that culture. Because when people are divided, they form really strong opinions and attachments to certain stuff, and so they become much easier to, um, I guess, sell to and convince of particular ideas. Because you've, you just have to play them off the other person all of the time or the yeah. other side, and then. It, stunts our ability to have like a, an actual discussion around you know the the real pros and cons of some of the things that are being said mm. yeah and so i don't know i feel like it's not so bad in new zealand at the moment but it kind of feels like it could be going in that direction yeah know, what do you think i think like the u.s the situation is u.s is almost like kind of the projection of where you know in in some sense, like New Zealand is headed to right, yeah. and you, right now the U.S. being very um, is, is polarizing the right word. Like it's you're either blue or you're either blue yeah. or red. I think polarizing is the polarizing right word. the right word. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're either blue or red. There's no color in between. Yeah. I feel like that's the direction we'll probably we're probably looking into heading into. Um, yeah. So, you know, but like you said, like when it comes to a lot of things, you know, you like, you know, New Zealand context, national labor, Mm. 
the chances are you're not gonna agree with every single one of those policies that Definitely. one party suggests, right? Mm. Uh, and you vote for a party that you agree with the most, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think it's you know, and, and when it comes to you know, break it down into something smaller, just like Joe Rogan, like like I like Joe Rogan, but I'm aware that some of the things that he's into, I'm not that into, mm. or some of the things that he believes in. I, I I question a little bit more, you know. Yeah. One of the one of the ones being the um, Graham Hancock's oh, yes. uh, what was the uh, Younger Dry's Impact Theory. Yes, yeah. yeah, so that was super cool theory, and I I love listening to the episode. And I haven't watched a documentary on Netflix, yeah. but I listened to the Joe Rogan episode with that. Um, and it's super cool, and I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And fun to think about what yeah. if what if that happened? Yeah, it's yeah, such yeah. a cool. It, it fits the narrative, but. From, like, I did a like, re- little bit of research on yes. my own, and it seems like the general consensus is a little bit less likely. Definitely, you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I really, in the same way, I really enjoy <laughs> listening to the conspiracy theory episodes because yeah. it's like fun to imagine, especially the ones like, like from Jet Graham Hancock, where yeah. it's like, oh, imagine if there was an ancient civilization that had all this technology and all this cool stuff and you're, you're like yeah that would be really cool like you're like oh man it's just it's just fun to think about mm. and i have watched the netflix uh, documentary um and it was it was really entertaining like i was like oh this is great yeah like um i guess yeah then you then you're like oh well like what is it is it actually true like what is he is he what are you saying actually true um and i watched um one of the, I guess on YouTube, like a real classic thing for creators to do is like a debunking yeah. kind of series. Um, and there was this uh, sort of young, uh, I guess, archaeology kind of student guy. Um, and his content's all around sort of debunking like ridiculous archaeology claims. Mm. And so um, he brought out this series where he... Sorry, I just spilled all over. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's all good. Yeah, so he he takes every episode of Graham Hancock's Ancient Apocalypse and just goes through it and goes like, here's the actual, you know, archaeology evidence and like what he's saying and how that compares to what what's actually thought. And, and so like a lot of his claims are sort of based in like actual... Um, discoveries and things that have come out that are like changing the way archaeology is viewing um, sort of history, right? This YouTube guy. Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, he's not denying that some of these things have been sort of like figured out, but he's like, yeah, you know, it's when you've got a place where lots of people gather all the time, like you're there, there's like layers of things that get discovered, but it's really hard to, to link those layers together because it could be, really separate um i guess groups of people that lived quite yeah. far apart from each other but because of the geography it's a good place to hang out mm-hmm. and that, and so yeah a lot of a lot of the stuff is just like oh you know like yeah it was there but you can't say for sure that it's the same civilization that's been there the whole time mm-hmm. um and he's like and it doesn't really fit with other civilizations that we've found yeah and he's like well see, you know we can't rule it out but like also <laughs> it doesn't really look like it um it's so, like yeah it's good to i feel like it's good to do your own research on those yeah things. and this this perfect example of listening to 
one narrative and you just being sold to that. Because when I just listened to Graham Hancock, I was like, who can argue against this? Yeah, who can yeah. argue against all these uh, evidences that he has? Yeah. Um, and, the, and, and I think the dangerous of that is because I'm not an expert in that, yeah. and a lot of people aren't, right? 99% of lis- listeners yeah. aren't, right? And they would think they wouldn't have any other questions to ask. Yeah. They wouldn't know better, you know? Yes, yeah. And including me, until I did the research, I'm like, ah, oh, that's true, you know? Yeah. Like, like you said, like there are, it, it doesn't have to be one civilization lived there. It could be just, you know, several generations of people that lived there for yeah. a long time and accumulated stuff over that. And yeah, so that, that that's that's a perfect example of that, eh? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I I put off watching the episode <laughs> for so long because I just was like, oh, I really want ancient <laughs> ancient civilizations to be a thing. Yeah. Um, but actually, what the, I think the main thing that really sold me on on like the anti youngest Dryas um, sort of Graham Hancock theory was um, the way that he presents it and everything that that he talks about all the time and there's I think there's a few other um sort of people that he hangs out with that um also talk about the younger Dryas mm. event um and um so apparently the younger Dryas event obviously massive change to the way the world like was sort of operating at the time um it's like the most studied weather event in 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 like human history so like People saw it, they were like, oh, something crazy happened there. Let's figure out what's yeah. going on. But the way that Graham Hancock talks about it, it's more like, kind of like, oh, no one's really explored this yet. Mm. But it, that's not actually the case. Right, yeah. right. Maybe for the listeners who haven't listened to the uh, yes, Younger Dress yeah. Impact, do you want to give a quick rundown on the what the, what the theory uh, is? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> not, not even close to the expert. Um, but so it's like, Ten to twelve thousand years ago. Um, yeah, I think eighteen thousand years ago. Eighteen thousand. Yeah, it might be. Anyway, it was it was a long time. Ago. A long time ago, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was um, there was large sort of um, ice sheets that covered most of the world, so it was coming off the end of that last ice age. Um, and so most of North America was covered in these big ice sheets that came like really deep into it um and then as the world or the globe sort of heated up um these ice sheets started melting uh, in the middle um and then at some point the edges broke and then just released a crazy amount of water that just like rushed across um you know the american continent and like ripped up huge swaths of land um and caused the sea to rise by like i don't i don't know the exact amount but i think it's like meters um but it was yeah it was a quite a extreme event that happened relatively quickly on like a i guess like uh, a world scale you know but i think the whole event that the sea rising it took a, a few years for it to actually rise a lot so it's not like all the water dumped into the ocean and then all of a sudden everywhere the water just went it was like over a, over a few years or something like that but still way quicker than yeah. you would normally expect the ocean to rise um and that's as much as i know about it yeah <laughs> and hopefully it's reasonably accurate and there are a lot of hypotheses in what like in what caused that right yes. the cause of that right and one of the things that 
Graham Hancock is claiming yes. that there's a big impact, media yeah. impact yeah, yeah. Uh, from the space that that caused it. And that's um yeah. So right now the where the study is at is that it's a possibility. I think yeah. it's one of the hypotheses, but the at least the mainstream academia is leaning towards it being a just a fun idea rather than being it legitimate. Yeah. Um. I can't remember what the other hypotheses are, but they're they're a bit more widely accepted. Um, accepted ones. Yeah. I think one of the things is ocean circulation. It could just be that um, just the circulation of ocean. Apparently, the, the that um, the event that you described is pretty periodic. Mm. So they one of the uh, hypotheses is just that it's just an ocean circulation, and that's what caused that. Um, As in, like the the just the general warming of the globe. Yeah, yeah just yeah. There's something to do with oceanic circulation yeah. that that triggered the, the events that followed. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how. Um, how much of our climate is linked to the heat exchange that happens in the ocean. Yeah. Um, I was watching um, some news, I think this week, um, and basically the whole ocean is heating up um, quite quickly right now. Um, But there's this one portion of the ocean, they're calling it the cold blob, um, which is actually cooling. uh, which is unusual because every other part of the ocean is warming up. And I think it's it sits between um, the US and Europe. Is that the Atlantic Ocean there? Oh. I think. Jamie. Put <laughs> <laughs> um, that up, Jamie. <laughs> don't have one of those. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so like this portion of the ocean is, um, is cooling as opposed to heating up. Um, and then... Um, I think it's they've known about it since like the early '90s, but no one's. I think they've only just sort of started to figure out what's going on. Mm. It's got something to do with the salination of um, of the water in the area because okay. Greenland's right there, and it's um, got all these um, glaciers on it that are melting quicker and quicker into the ocean, and so it's dumping lots of fresh water um, into the ocean, which I think sits on the top, and then so it's the the relative content of salt in the water is reducing mm. and that changes the heat exchange i'm not oh. i don't know exactly how it works um but it's causing this particular part of the ocean to cool down as yeah. opposed to heat up um, which is changing the way that the heat exchange occurs through i don't know there's a big loop of it that goes around yeah. like the u.s and down by um south america and then yeah all through there um and so that's supposed to not be great oh that's not that's that's not good for the atmosphere or yeah well so apparently um like in order to i guess maintain the current sort of climate um that heat exchange is really important so like it's 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 one of the things that sort of like drives the temperature in those like local areas and uh, but also like on a global scale like with the seasons and things mm-hmm. um and again, I'm not an expert. I've only sort of like watched these things on YouTube about it. Um, but it's changing the way. Oh, my bad. <laughs> it's changing the way that um, sort of heat is exchanged um, through the air from the ocean to the air, but then also through those um, those currents that go around. Um, 
and I think even the flow of the water, because it's actually like moving underneath, right. is slowing down because there's... Oh, um, sure. I don't know exactly why. It's got something to do with the lower salt content and the, the heat exchange doesn't happen correctly. So you don't, um, you don't get as much circulation through that current anymore. Mm. Um, and so I think, I can't remember if it's trying to cool the water or heat it up. I don't know enough about it, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's supposed to, I guess, I, I guess negatively affect the, yeah. the climate. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if it disturbs the, you know, the um, usual, like the standard circulation that yeah. it had before yeah. and it's kind of stopping that, doesn't sound good. No. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely doesn't. doesn't sound good. Is that like, um, are you into that kind of thing? Look, like looking into that... I, I, you know, I haven't met, I, I guess haven't met that many Joe Rogan fans, but I haven't met someone else who's into like the younger, the younger dress impact theory. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, this kind of thing, you know, um, like the oceanic circulation oh, system. Cool. Are you into that kind of things usually um, or? I don't know. I guess, I guess, yes. I, mm. I do watch um, videos and listen to people talk about it. Yeah. I don't know. I just like to engage in interesting ideas and stuff um so normally i watch like a variety of videos or listen to podcasts around that um obviously um oh man now i've forgotten his name um lex friedman oh yeah yeah big fan of lex friedman's mm. podcast he he's always talking to really smart people yeah who are just like experts in their area and it's and like sometimes it's super technical, like yeah. coding and that sort of thing. And I don't really understand, yeah. but it's still really interesting to hear like how they think it's going to change the way that you know the world works and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I feel like you should be interested in climate change. Mm. <laughs> like, it feels like something we should all be interested in and have um, a base understanding of like or uh, trying to keep up with the the things that are causing climate change and like you know what the impact of those things is going to be um, because i guess it's going to affect us you know reasonably soon yeah is is that your is that your thinking i mean it's not really my thinking yeah it's what i guess that's what the experts what think. the experts thinking yeah, yeah. So, um yeah i guess um one of the videos I was watching was um, they had a, um, a climate expert on there and, and he was, you know, talking, you don't want the climate to change by 5% because, mm. you, you know, that's going to be, you know, catastrophic, basically. Um, and he guess, I guess he compared it to, like, you wouldn't get on a plane that had a 5% chance of crashing. Yeah. That's too high a percentage. Um, so if there's a 5% chance of something occurring that's going to, you know, impact the climate negatively. You kind of want to mitigate those things. Um, and so I guess trying to understand what are the things that cause climate change, like, um, and maybe not the causes so much. I guess we kind of probably, I think we've got an understanding mm. of like greenhouse gases and, you know, there's too much of the sun's radiation that's remaining in the in the earth for too long is, is heating ourselves up. Um, but... 
what are what are the changes that that's driving? And so like these um, ocean currents are one of those things. And so I guess trying to figure out, okay, well, if those ocean currents change and our understanding of how that affects the climate is like increasing, we get a better understanding of like what the impact is going to be. Yeah. And then you can better predict like, when are we going to experience, you know, the oceans rising and like ex- extreme temperature change and those kinds of things. So I don't know, it feels like it feels important that we should yeah. know. I think it's important. And I think a lot, well, a lot of people, including me who get, you know, us less interested in it yeah. is because right now it's not impacting us immediately totally. we can get food we want basically any food we want from the supermarket mm-hmm. as long as we have money yeah and uh you know day to day there's ac running <laughs> yeah, yeah. the climate's fine and the hot water running you know totally. and i feel like when that starts becoming less and less of a reality and it's becoming more of a more and more of a luxury um, because of the climate change i feel like that's when the conversation will start uh, like i mean unfortunately you know yeah like ideally we prevent that from happening you know <laughs> that never happens but yeah i mean even even like i'm not um a massive environmentalist you know like day to day um, and so, like, I'm definitely a massive hypocrite. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you're right. Like, if when things don't impact you um, sort of immediately, you kind of, you don't really um, take them seriously, I think. Yeah. It's that whole, like, um, if you can't see it, it doesn't really exist mm. thing. Um, I guess, like, yeah, so, like, I think it's a fundamental problem for humans are like understanding um like incremental changes that you're also like compounding like i don't think i don't think as a species we really sort of like fully grasp what it means for something to um to move exponentially Mm. or to compound on itself and so it's like oh those effects will cause this you know and like you get this compounding thing and then at the same time um we don't have a great ability to i guess think longer than our own lifespans and so you don't really with those two things added together you, you're just like oh like if, if i can't see it and it's not affecting me right now yeah like, who cares um and i think a lot of people know about it and like it's in the back of their mind yeah but like you said if it's if i can still get my food and water and I can have the AC on, mm. then, like, no worries. Yeah, and that's interesting what you said about the exponential, like, we us not understanding exponential because if we just look at, like, you know, short time, you know, mm. being, like, our lifespan. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, if you look at just short time, all we are going to see is mostly linear. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, because yeah, if you... If you zoom in, if you, a, zoom. <laughs> you zoom in on a on a curve, it does look flat. Yeah, the same way that the horizon looks flat when you look at it, because you can't because it's flat, right? Yeah. It's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This Earth is flat, right? Hundred percent. I think I heard that on Joe Rogan. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I've seen no proof myself that it's not that it's not that flat. it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but and. 
the proof of it being flat is everyday life. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and things seem flat to me, and so they must be. Yeah, must be, must be. Oh, well, that's that's a separate tangent. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's not dive into that one. Yeah. <laughs> just to be clear, I think the world is round. Yeah, just to be clear, <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. I don't actually think the yeah. world's flat. Yeah, okay. no, we, we left the tinfoil headset home yes, today. Yeah, yeah, put it, yeah put it. it's behind the camera. It's yes, behind yeah. the camera. We'll put it back on. Um, yeah, exactly. Make sure that the um, projection we put out to the world is of... Um, you know, uh, socially acceptable people that are adding to society <laughs> and not rocking the boat too much. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, it's uh, when I caught up with you recently. Look, it was yeah. interesting because you know, we, yeah, like like we said at the at the start, I met you on my first day. If, yeah, first day of university because yeah, yeah. you're my RA, uh, residential advisor, yes. at the university hall. The first generation, yeah, right? What up? <laughs> you age. <laughs> it's changed so much there, by the way. I know. Have you seen it? Yeah, there's like two or three other massive. I know, right? Like halls of residence. Yeah, it's crazy, and I think we we had a pretty kind of at uni at least. Like we had a pretty different background. I was studying mathematics. Mm, yes. Um, you were studying like commerce. Is that right? Commerce property. Yeah, I did a commerce and property conjoint degree, which is just two degrees at the same time yeah but property is basically commerce but like specializing as using property as like an asset Mm -hmm. so you kind of it's basically the the same thing yeah reflecting on it now (laughs) like (laughs) just like the application is slightly different and um but i did economics and and management as my majors okay um in my commerce degree. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty, pretty different backgrounds, but we are kind of now in the same space, yeah. which is the, which is the data, That's which right, is, yeah. uh, is a, oh yeah, it's an industry that I'm working in that, um, that I'm interested in. And so when I saw that, I was like, yeah, well, it's, it's so cool that yeah. like, first of all, so cool that, you know, having very different start for ending it up in a, the same industry mm-hmm. as well as, uh, you know, um, yeah, so I th- I thought it would be an interesting conversation to see how I got yeah it. how you got there because yeah. like I mean you know I think I was telling you last time that I think you definitely had one one of the more interesting kind of the stories that that you you've told me that I've heard. Well, I'm glad you think they're interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't think so? Well, we'll, we'll get into it, but I guess like you live your own life and you kind of like yeah oh, that's what I'm doing. And, oh. and, but yeah, I suppose it has been kind of like. I've just done a bit of everything, really. And then kind of, um, I guess I didn't end up in the data space. I kind of made a conscious decision to move move that way. Right. Um, Because, I mean... I mean, look look at what we're doing, you know, like we're using technology to like make a podcast that will be like posted onto the internet for people if they want to consume globally. You mm-hmm. know, it could be watched by anybody. Um, and so... I think, like, I guess um, if you think about making um, smart career decisions, moving into, like, the technology and data space um, is like a no-brainer, right? Yeah. It's it's the future work environment. Um, Yeah. People are going to be utilizing data and technology 
um, way more in their day to day. And they are already, you, you know, like, I guess you will, when you post those podcasts, you'll go into the back end and you'll review the analytics and mm. you'll see, you know, okay, what time did I post it? How did it that compare to the last podcast I did and when I posted that one? And so you'll be, you're like, co- I guess content creators as um, uh, creative people are sort um Force because of the way that um, you know digital media is served to people to engage with analytics like on a day to day basis, right? And so, uh, yeah. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> I think that um, everyday life, data and technology is just getting closer and closer together. Yeah. And it's the same for um, the business world and the corporate, you know, the corporate environment. Um, and so that's why I moved into that space. Yeah. yeah. But I think that that even that to me is pretty interesting because seeing seeing myself and seeing other people's kind of the career progression or not not even necessarily career but even just a union what they study and where they end up with i see a lot of people i don't see many people that are quite active about their choices if that if that's um well well, at least when i listen to that when i when you what you just said it seems like a very proactive choice, you know. You have a an idea about where the society is going, mm. and therefore you want to, you know, keep up to date with that, and you want to invest in something that you think will be relevant to the future. Um, whereas I think a lot of people, you know, I feel like it's not black and white. It's not about. Mm. It's not just either you're proactive or you're not. I think it's there's kind of the middle ground, and I think you're a bit leaning a bit more towards the proactive side of things do you do you think that um i guess so yeah now that you've put it like that yeah (laughs) it does it does line up um i suppose for full transparency i i got into my current role through a recruiter that got in touch with me but um i suppose before i so i joined i joined a data um consulting um, business so we we do a range of stuff across uh, the data and technology industry. Um, but I came from um, a management consulting background at KPMG. Um, and even towards the end of my time with KPMG, I was working more with, um, they called out the Lighthouse team, which is basically just um, data engineers and data scientists um, and um, uh, software developers um, who, I guess, provide uh support to help us build models and and tools so that we can i guess service our clients better and and even when i was at kpmg i started like moving closer to that team and working with them to like build demand forecasting models and that would help us sort of um uh, you know take that demand forecasting tool apply it to the client and then you know help them sort of make changes to the way that they were doing things and so yeah, when I got this uh, message from this recruiter, they were I was like, oh well, yeah, I guess I should go that way. <laughs> like it, it just feels like that's where everything's heading. Right. Yeah. Um, I suppose I do like to look at the future and 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 ponder over what it could look like mm. and and how things could change um, and and maybe why we're heading that way. Um, just because it's interesting, you know, I don't think, 
I don't think I would like to claim that I'm good at it at all, <laughs> um, but it's it's fun to talk about, right? Like yeah. imagining what the future could be like and imagining, um, you know, how how people are going to change and how people will react to that change um, and what we should be focusing on. Um, but yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, back to the question. Yeah, I think <laughs> I am proactive. I never... I don't think my parents would have thought that about me. <laughs> Your parents wouldn't have? No. I, I think I give off a quite a easygoing sort of uh, uh, go with the flow kind of um, kind of vibe. And I think day to day that is how I am. But while I'm doing that, I'm kind of like daydreaming about stuff, thinking, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, like what if we're – what is AI going to do? Like, how is that going to change everything? I was like, oh, I think it's going to be massive. Is everyone else thinking it's going to be massive? <laughs> I don't know. You know, like, I was like toddling around doing my stuff and just, just thinking about that things. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things, you know, one of the most productive, proactive things that you've done is um, the, the big balls. Oh, the food truck. The yeah. food truck, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. So I think I think that's so, such an interesting story. Yeah. It's, yeah. Okay, so I'll start right at the beginning. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um so um I mentioned that I was working at KPMG and so um uh before I so uh, like I always struggle with telling stories. And I'm like, where do I, where do I begin from? Because you, you, you started going back. And you were like, so I was born in 1990. 1992. 1992. Um, in um, Johannesburg, <laughs> South Africa. Um, okay, so I was working at um, KPMG sort of like in a um, middle kind of role. Not, not a junior anymore, but not like a senior person. Um, and we'd been working for like six months on this big project and it was, um, it was like really hectic and we were pulling big hours. Um, and then at the same time I was um, living, um, in Hanua, which is like uh, an hour train ride from the city. And so I was like commuting from Hanua to the city because this was before you could do work from home like it was like you have to be at the office that's crazy yeah it's funny to think that. yeah and so i'd like commute an hour in well at first i had to drive 20 minutes to the train and then catch that and then it's like so by the time i got to work it was an hour and a half trip yeah and then i had to do it in reverse to, to go home and um, and so anyway i'm just really pumping out big hours um and uh, we sort of like closed the project off um and then i went on holiday for three weeks and i came back to work and i was like wow i was really stressed um i don't like that was that was really hard um, and then at the same time i broke up with my long-term girlfriend <laughs> i was so like i guess i was in this like state of change um where i wasn't uh dating this girl anymore um, and I was kind of realizing that I don't want to work that hard ever again mm. maybe maybe on something that I'm really interested in but definitely not on like supply chain network optimization you know you, you didn't enjoy that <laughs> it was fun I think it was good like learning experience but it was just a lot and 
I was like, oh yeah, I like cool to do it, but probably not again, you know? Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I was like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go traveling. Um, so I, like first I did like a two week trip to India with some friends. Um, and that was like really cool. Um, India is like a really amazing country to visit. Um, it's definitely eye opening in like terms of like what's happening out in the world. Um, and then I came back and I was like, no, I'm definitely just going to quit and then go traveling. So at the end of like 2019, I booked to go skiing in Canada. Um, and then that's, um, and I was meeting my current partner, Susie over there. We were going to go skiing together. Um, I guess at the time we weren't like officially dating or whatever, but there obviously there was like something going on. There were some attractions there. Yeah, okay. Okay. Like, you don't just book a trip to Canada. <laughs> like your work. Colleague, so you she know? was living there or? Oh no, she was working with you. Yeah. We were working mm. together at KPMG. Yeah. And then, um, and then I broke up with my girlfriend. Like we were hanging out f- a bit and then um, she, she went to go traveling somewhere else and she was like, let's go skiing in Canada. Yeah. And so we, we met up in Canada like six months later. Um, and that was like, end of 2019 start of 2020 yeah and as we all know <laughs> that's, uh, when <laughs> that's when things got bad <laughs> um, but yeah we was so we did a ski season there um and it was it was me you know uh, and i was we were doing a lot of partying a lot of skiing and not a lot of watching the news mm. and then one day it just was like oh covid's a big deal and then it was like oh my god okay and then all the mountains that we in the area started closing down because right. of COVID. And we were like, oh, that's weird. And then our mountain closed down and we were like, oh, this is a big deal. Yeah. And then the whole world started shutting down. Um, and so I guess me and Susie had like a decision to make, like, do we go back home? Because um, we'd only just sort of started traveling. The plan was to do like two years. We were going to ski in Canada together for a while and then go our separate ways and then meet somewhere else mm. and do some stuff. Um and I, was, I had all this money saved up. Um, and, but then the thing that convinced me to come home was that my my mum called me um, and she was like basically crying on the phone. Oh. She was like, Luke, if, if, what happens if you get stuck over there? Yeah. And like the whole world turns to shit and like everything shuts down. Yeah. Like you've got to come home. Um, and I, and at the time, me and Susie actually had COVID, so we were like, "Oh shit!" Like, we didn't know it was COVID because yeah. there was no testing. This was in like March 2020. Right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, long story short, we come home, and we do MIQ for like three weeks. Oh fuck! The good old days. Yeah, good old MIQ days. It, this was when it was free as well. Yeah, I was gonna say, and it was alcohol free, so what? we were stuck in a room <laughs> for three weeks with like nothing to do and nothing to drink. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, like oh my what God. did you guys do? Oh, like, um, so for the first five days. We didn't leave the room. Yeah. And then this nurse came around because they had nurses coming around to check out. Because they tested us at the airport. And they're like, you guys have COVID. You've got to go right. to MIQ. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Um, and then um, and then so this nurse comes around on the fifth day. And she's like, and obviously, I, I guess we looked a little bit crazy because we'd been in like a tiny room, you know. Yeah. And, and she was like, have you guys... Have you guys been outside uh, recently? And we were like, no, no, we haven't. 
we haven't left. <laughs> we haven't left the room for five days, oh, and she was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like that, you guys should be allowed outside." Yeah. And I was like, "I thought we just weren't allowed to leave until COVID was gone." Right. And she's like, "No, no, like you should. You're allowed to go outside." Yeah. And so we got to go outside the next day for like 20 minutes and it was like the most joyful experience of my life. I was just like, oh, grass. Vitamin like, D. Yeah, it was like sunshine. Yeah. Because we'd been in the winter time as well. So wow. we were like just watching the sun Yeah, and like the air cons like, <laughs> like, it was one of those rooms that didn't have a window that you could open. Yeah, yeah. So it was just like, uh, so we did that for like three weeks. Um, and to answer your question, we did like a lot of yoga yeah. uh, in the room. So we'd like move all the beds to the side and right. we'd, like do yoga. Oh, yeah. And then we would like meditate because it was like, what? A, like you run out of things to do. And then we played um, cards a lot. Okay. Which was bad because I lost every single game. Yeah. Uh, Susie's much better at. What did you guys play? Um, do you know 500? No, like I don't a, think so. It's like a trick collecting game. Okay. Um, there's like a. It's normally a four player game, but that you can play like a two player mm. variant. And so we were playing that, and and I always used to think I was pretty good at yeah. cards, but then Susie just smoked me yeah. every time. Yeah, I think I won one game over the three week period. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we don't play cards anymore. Right, you've had enough. <laughs> yeah. You've had enough. But it's good that you guys stayed active, like doing yoga and, you know, meditating as well. You oh, know? man, we would have gone crazy. Because, like, you, you're only allowed to leave the room once a day, I guess because it was hard logistically to, mm. like, leave the room. And they didn't give us um, access cards. And so they were like, if you leave the room, you'll be locked out of mm. your room. you got to stay in there. Yeah. And there were all these people trying to, like, break out of MIQ, so... Oh yeah, pull the mic closer. Oh sorry. Oh yeah. Oh you can sit back, but you can you can pull it pull it closer oh, to you. Yeah. Um and so there's all these people trying to break out the whole time. So there was cops around all the time. Really? Yeah, so that they, they were always worried that you were gonna try and like bolt out the yeah. gate. <laughs> which, is, which is a funny thing to worry about. Um but people have done it, I guess, if they are yeah, yeah. setting that up. Yeah, um so the I think the funny because normally you're supposed to, supposed to stay in MIQ for two weeks, um, and in our case because we came in together, they put us in a room together, but only I came back positive with COVID and Susie came back as negative. Okay. But we knew that she had already had it because she was so sick. Yeah. In Canada, she was like in bed, like dying. Yeah. And um, and so that they, I was like, yes, we're we're about to be released. It's like the two weeks are up. I'm just like ready and. Um, the doctor and nurse or the, like the lady that was like running the facility can they come in and they're like oh you know do you mind if we um if we have like a bit of a conversation mm. and we, i was like i was like yeah cool they're gonna give us our release papers we're gonna get out of here and so they sit us down they're like okay so here's the deal like luke's completed his two-week uh, period uh. where he's like gotten rid of covid um but because Susie, you came back negative, you could have picked it up any point right. between now and then. So you have to stay an extra week to to make up that time. Um, and then they were, they basically said, "So you've got an option. Like Luke can go home and leave you here by yourself yeah. for another week, or it's like he can stay and you guys can keep hanging out for a week." Um, 
And I would, I mean, in my head, I was like, that doesn't feel like an option. Like you yeah. can't just ditch somebody in that environment. I reckon it's a. Uh, they're they're writing like a novel there, you know. It's like a love story kind of <laughs> novel. What, what's he gonna choose? You know, like next episode, find out. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, and so apparently they're doing this for everybody that came in like pairs and like yeah. a similar situation. And um, so obviously I was like, I'll stay for yeah. sure. To oh, keep there you company, go. You there, no wonder you guys are engaged now. <laughs> yeah. well, can, can I say that on yes, the camera? Yeah, okay, you cool. Can say <laughs> Congratulations, Susie. And look, yeah, she. Um, uh, I haven't bought a proper engagement ring for that her. That hasn't happened. Um, yeah, and so I'm un, I'm, a, I'm a bit in the bad books because it's been so long. That has been I, long. Yeah, and I've um, anyway the long backstory, but I, I owe her a real engagement ring, yeah. um, which is something I, I have to work on. Maybe while she's away, you know, she's away in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's just hard to get an engagement. She wants it to be a surprise, but. Yeah. Um, she wants something that's not a regular engagement ring. Okay. And so I've like wrecking my brain on like what to do. Do you know like the style she likes? Has she dropped some hands? Yeah. Well, that's what I said to her. I was like, I don't want to get you something that's going to be bad. Mm. Like, and I was hoping we would do the engagement with the like stand-in ring, and then we could go choose something together. Yeah. But she was like, no, no, I don't like that. Yeah. I want it to be more romantic than that. Um, and so, which is fair, I suppose. That's like kind of the tradition and the thing. So she sent me a few pictures and I was like, well, just, nice. just hold off. I'll take these and I'll figure something yeah. out. So that's my new plan. Yeah. I reckon like, you know, us being in the data space, yeah. you know, get upload all those images and make you know, oh, the, get an AI. recommend the yeah AI nice. recommend the best ring out of you know using all these images. It's a good idea. You know, it's a really good idea. I it's might actually idea. take that. <laughs> You've got like two weeks. This gets released. Look, yeah, you know? Okay. you know, I get a sprint planning going. Yeah, I gotta get a product owner in here to manage the milestones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get the Trello board running. You know, <laughs> <laughs> get some agile. Yeah, we're running stuff. Kanban. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we got sidetracked there. So yeah. you are um you are about to be released, but then they were like make a choice between yeah, yeah. you know stay yeah. here with do you Susie. want love or do you want to go home? <laughs> short term, short term reward yeah. of like leaving now, yeah, and then regretting it later, yeah. or you know long term reward. And it sounds like you made the smart choice. Well, I I just didn't see it as a real option. I was like, how is this an option? Are hey, people taking this up? This 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 true love right there. <laughs> <laughs> but I reckon even if it was somebody that I um, I didn't know that, or like you know that I was just friends with, I would right. definitely always stay because like it just it feels so shit to be the one that made them because she was negative, and if we weren't traveling together, right. she would have just been let go. But because she was with me, she had to come. <laughs> And then if I left early, she would have had to stay an extra, <laughs> an extra week just because of that. So, it, okay, anyway. It worked um, out. Yeah, so I, we stayed. But um, the the reason I was telling that story was because um, uh, another, there were two friends that were in the same boat, but the, one of the mates decided that he was going to leave. Um, and we were walking around and we had this nurse accompanying us. And then this guy was like, 
marching around the, yeah. um, uh, the sort of the car park looking real mad. And there were these two police officers like following right behind him, you know, like this far behind him. And we were like, what's up with that guy? Why is he being followed by the police? And, and she was like, oh, his friend left yesterday uh. and he got real pissed off and tried to escape. <laughs> so now he's got like police protection. <sighs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So the real reason that I was talking about that was that me and Susie were back in New Zealand um, and um, we had like, I guess, a decision to make, like, what what do we want to do with our time while we're here? Because we're going to be here for a while. Mm. It didn't seem like the sort of uh, the pandemic was like going anywhere overseas. It was like mid 2020. Um, and we basically looked at each other. And we were like, oh, I don't want to go back to work, um, back to the office. Like we're supposed to be doing something different where we travel and like do something cool. Um, and so we thought we'd try travel around New Zealand and we looked into buying like a van and doing that up. But it turned out that was just going to cost heaps of money to do. It was going to be expensive. So we were like, maybe we'll start like a business or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll figure out what we could do. Anyway, we ended up doing, uh, deciding on the food truck, I guess, because we thought it was like low commitment and like easy to sort of start and then also easy to like wind down if we got sick of it or if we wanted to do something else. Um, but I think in classic um, sort of Luke fashion, it kind of exploded into this big venture yeah you know, this big thing and i was like oh we're gonna do this like cool food truck and um so we ended up like building this food truck from scratch um like on this real big trailer it was way too big it was it didn't it could have been like a quarter of the size <laughs> and, and achieved the same goal but like, we're like we just we didn't know what we were doing so it was just right. like buy the biggest trailer put the biggest box on it like put this window in and so we spent ages building it, which was cool. And then we got it like professionally painted and like it looked really nice. Um, and then we um, spent ages like designing the menu, like what are the recipes we're going to do? Um, and we picked, um, we sort of like accidentally ended up specializing in meatballs, which is like. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, it's, such a, it's such a like really specific. Yeah. Like too specific thing to like. <laughs> be like yeah we're gonna be the we're gonna be the meatball food truck yeah the meatball guys yeah we're gonna be the meatball food truck and so i think the way it happened was we were like what is what are some foods that there just aren't good versions of in new zealand and we were like maybe sandwiches Mm. like there's no good sandwiches out there we were like spitballing good sandwiches and i was like you know what i used to like my favorite Subway sandwich was the meatballs. <laughs> meatballs is my go-to, yeah, too. Yeah, right? It's the best one. And I was like, but I've always thought, like, it's they're not good meatballs and, like, the sauce is not right. that great. And so we were like, okay, the first sandwich we make will be, the like, a marinara meatball oh. sandwich. And then we just went down this rabbit hole of, like, how to make the perfect meatball. And, and like, to be honest, the meatballs were mean. Like, they yeah. were real good. Um, and so we spent ages like designing this like meatball and then we were like, well, why don't we do like a couple different kinds of meatballs? And then all of a sudden we were doing 
only meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, okay, we'll make a veggie meatball as well. As right. Well, like a veggie vegan one. How'd you guys perfect that? Um, basically, just watched every single video we could find yeah. on like meatballs and like koftas because koftas are kind of similar. Oh, okay. We just experimented for like... Yeah, would have, so the whole time we were making the food trucks, so about six months we were making the food truck, we were also doing recipes. Yeah. Um, and so we would just go to the butcher and then we would try things and then like eventually we were like, okay, well, actually we need to buy really high quality meat okay. so that it was, because like if you get pork and beef from Pack and Save, it's it's just, and it's the mincemeat, I mean, I think mm. some of that meat might be good, but like the mincemeat was crap. It was right. just real watery and like um, you can't sort of specify like the fat content that needs to go into okay. it because the, um, the thing with meatballs here's some insider some yeah insider tips. meatball facts yeah some meatball facts so a good meatball has um, um, a, a good ratio of um, uh, sort of beef and pork and fat um, and the type of fat that you put into it is also really important so some recipes will use like cream um, oh. and then like a fatty cut of pork to sort of achieve that fattiness. Um, but when we cooked our meatballs, um, all of that good juicy stuff tended to sort of like leak out. Mm. And so what we ended up doing, <laughs> which is also outrageous, we sourced um, this stuff called, um, uh, what was it called now? Lardo. Okay. And Lardo is um, cured pig fat right um so it's like it's about what, three inches of just pure fat yeah um and it's like got the skin on it still um and it's it's made in italy uh, in the same way that you'd cure um sort of pancetta or like any of those other sort of cured meats mm. um and what that does is it, it holds the fat together even when heat's applied to it um not not the whole time. So if you, if you heat it up for long enough, it will just pull out. Yeah. Sort of thing. But you basically we just diced it up, and then you put it into the meatballs. And so then when you're cooking the meatballs, that like little cube of fat doesn't yeah. doesn't just melt out of the meatball. It actually like retains in there. And so you okay. get like a really nice juicy meatball. And then when you bite into one of those little lardo pieces, it's like <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, so it was like a big yeah big experiment just trying different, um, I guess, combinations of meat, like cuts of meat, um, different like fat content. Um, and then eventually we dialed it into like something that really works for us. Um, and um, I guess one thing that you always have to consider is like what's the, like, the local ingredients that you can source. Um, so like what's actually available. Because mm. we found it really difficult to sort of replicate like American style um, recipes because right. you didn't have access to all of the ingredients that were there okay um, and even the larder was really hard to get a hold of there was this one place that sold it and um, sometimes they didn't have it in stock yeah <laughs> so we were like ordering it's like oh we don't have any in stock and you'd be like oh shit like what are we gonna do yeah so we would but by the time that happened we'd like kind of come up with uh workarounds for it oh really um yeah, we just used a different cured meat that was quite fatty. Right. But it did change the sort of the flavor profile of the meatball slightly. So you kind of had to like 
work around it a little bit. But yeah, we got there in the end. But so, was your day to day during that period like uh, working on the trailer, and if if not, like just trying out different recipes and see what works and rating those? Yeah. So, so my parents and Susie's parents just happened to live like reasonably close to each other. Yeah. Um, given where they live. So um, my parents live in Hanua, which is like out in South Auckland. And then Susie's parents lived in Drury, um, which is also in South Auckland, but it's kind of like across the motorway from each other. Mm. So they're about 20 minute drive. Um, and so we would go to my parents' house because um, my dad is like a handy man kind of guy. He's mm. like got tools and he's like a real weekend warrior. Yeah. He, we also have a farm. So he, he's just like fixing stuff all the time. So he has every tool you could ever need to do anything um because he also loves collecting like gadgets and things yeah um so we'd go we'd go there and there's a big shed and we could um park the trailer in there and build it you know during the day or in the evening and then if we weren't doing that then yeah we would be at Susie's house doing the cooking because her parents had a better kitchen (laughs) than my parents. So you really had like the kitchen and the workshop and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were pretty lucky. Um, But yeah, it was was a fun time. Um, But it was like, I guess it was like, um, it was, I guess it was like a testing of our relationship as well. Yeah. We hadn't really spent like that much time together. I was going to ask, it doesn't sound like that much. Like, so by that point, how long would you, were you guys together? Like six or, months or something? Yeah, yeah, it was crazy, right? Yeah, it was. But I suppose we had already worked quite closely together at That's KPG true. for a long time. That's so, true. Um, but yeah, it was definitely like, I guess, pushing the envelope on. Like, but I guess everybody was in lockdown as well. So like, you couldn't really go anywhere. And it was like, oh, well, I mm. guess we can hang out um, because we're already hanging out. Otherwise, you'd be alone at your house the whole time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was definitely like jumping into the deep end. Yeah. Do you, do you think, did you feel that at some points the relationship was tested? Because, you know, starting a venture like that together, right? Even going on trips together is it's a tough thing. Yeah, yeah. As a couple. And that sometimes is a make or break. Yeah. And, you know, doing something like this together, I feel like it's another whole another level of adventure. Yeah, I think it definitely was because I suppose um, building the food truck and, like, doing the recipes was pretty, like, uh, at that point, we were really, um, I guess, like, feeling the pressure of, like, actually owning the business. Yeah. So we were, like, building the website and, like, doing the branding and, like, building up a Instagram as well. And so it was kind of, we weren't really doing, uh, I guess, the, the normal work that you would be doing in the food truck yet. And so when we actually ended up doing that, um, yeah, it was a massive test because it was like, which of us is responsible for which parts of the business yeah. and like, who's going to remember to bring the tongs and the and all the stuff and pack it into the food truck and like... Um, yeah, there's, there was a whole lot of things that we didn't anticipate being problems mm. that were actually the biggest pain about like doing a food truck, which was you have to drive everything to somewhere and then set up and then sell and then like pack it all up and move it right. somewhere else. 
um, which is like a benefit and a negative in my opinion. But it's like every time you pack the truck in, you've got to remember to pack everything that you need. And then the, so the first the f- first few times we did stuff was like, where's this? Where's the tongs? Where's the pan? Did we bring enough stuff for the sauce? And it was just like this, oh my God, like everything was going wrong mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was like, yeah, quite stressful. Like, how do we deal with that? Like, and then it, I guess Susie's kind of a perfectionist with the food side of things. And I was like, not really. Uh, and so we would have like disagreements about like, what quality of food could we actually send out? Right. Um, and I was just like, just like, oh, I'll just do it as quick as possible and get it out the door. And Susie was like, no, it's got to be like this. Mm. And so we would like, there's like friction in like those kinds of areas where we, I guess where our um, values weren't quite aligned on what we were doing. So it was, that was, um, that was interesting to deal with, but I think we got there in the end. How, how did you, how did you overcome that? Um, I think basically that specific problem around, um, I guess the quality and the care being put into like making the food, Susie really cared about it like quite a lot. And I think she cared about it more than I didn't care about it. So I Uh. was, I was like, oh, well, if, if you want it done a particular way, just show me the exactly how you want it done mm. and i'll just make sure that i do it to the quality that that you expect yeah um and because i think yeah i guess susie's got a different relationship to food than i do so she really she wants to make it nice and like do it properly and like for her i think culturally as well like food's quite important um whereas for me most of the time i'm eating for sustenance <laughs> <laughs> and like i'm like yeah i need this much food to have that much energy to do those things and so i'm just like, pop, 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 just like yeah. whatever if i could i would and not always but like sometimes I, I i wish that there was something i could just pop in my mouth and it would just <laughs> give me everything i need you know? up and go look up and go <laughs> even up and go like i just like oh god they're expensive yeah it's like i want like oh, yeah i don't know i guess look. sushi is like the closest thing to that that's true, yeah. Kind of that di- balanced diet and yeah. delicious and easy to eat. and Yeah. Yeah, but I think like for me, sometimes even going to get the food, yeah, I'm like, oh, like I, just, <laughs> I just don't want to, but I know that I'm going to be hungry yeah, and that I need to eat. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I love going to a nice place and having a good time and eating good food. Um, but I do that kind of like more for the experience. Um like in those like particular moments but mm. if if i'm not doing that i'm like just give me something easy yeah that i'll that's also healthy I mean, there's all these are all hard asks but you know yeah that's Le- that's my dream yeah yeah you want a bit of bit of everything yes yeah yeah so we did the food truck for a while yeah and you were successful yeah it did pretty Look, good yeah yeah um it was we were getting really good traction towards the end of it um but at the same time we were like losing the passion oh really (laughs) yeah um and like the plan was to 
um, was to sell it eventually. Um, and I think we could have, we, I think we could have sold it um, to somebody, but uh, you know, with the, there was the traffic light stuff that happened mm. that really um, sort of ground everything in Auckland to a halt. So yeah, cause we were like pretty, pretty booked out for that summer all the way through to winter. We had loads of festivals like on the cards um, and it was like, it was lining up to be really good. And, you know, as we were so booked and had all this like revenue lined up, um, and I was like, man, this is going to be great. And then normally what happens is you would, you'd fill in the gaps with like things that come up a bit closer to the time. And then that would drive, that would bring more money into the business as well. Um, and so it was like, I was like, okay, cool. Like we're really getting somewhere. Like once we do this summer, um, we'll do a bit of work over the winter to keep, keep things going. Um, and then we'll book again another packed summer lineup and then at that point this was my plan i was like then we'll sell it leading up to the to that summer period because mm. the people who take it on will be able to go i'll be able, we'll be able to sell and say you've got this much yeah. revenue like pre-booked you're ready to go here's the recipes you don't even have to do anything like you just have to show up cook the food yeah like you're guaranteed to get at least this if you don't do anything um and then, and then go, here's two years of like work that could prove that the business, you know, is True. good. Um, and, but then I guess, as you know, there was the traffic lights, <laughs> the red, yellow, green, and it was, it was a bit chaotic and no one really knew what was going on. So basically the whole calendar got canceled. Um, and it just was like super demotivating. It was like hard to, um, to like, you know, want to do the business after that. <laughs> and, but I guess at the same time, like through that period, what we did was we opened up our garage in, on, uh, oh, what's the street called? It's just, it leads onto Dom Road. Oh, man, I, can't mm. remember what the, I lived there for a whole year. <laughs> um, anyway, it was, uh, it was like kind of on this like semi-busy road that yeah. connected Sandringham to Dominion Road. Near like Mount, Mount Stadium, yes, right, yeah. yeah. Um, Bassett. Bassett. Was it Bassett? No, it wasn't Bassett. Anyway, mm. anyway, this road. And it, it had a garage that sort of like came directly onto the street. And was it your flat at your flat? Yes, yeah, it yeah. Flat, as we were renting it. As we were kind of doing it undercover without letting the landlord <laughs> know. Because <laughs> um, um, she was a Chinese lady um, and like, um, she was quite particular about everything leading up to us getting the flat. And mm. so I was like, there's no way that she'll let us just do it. So we kind of... Um, I was like, we'll seek for forgiveness yeah. as opposed to permission. <laughs> um, but it was cool. I, I really liked doing it out of the garage because like, we had like particular days where we opened. I was like Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays that we did um, we did food. And because everyone was working from home and it was locked down, we did like a, a pre-ordering system through the website um, and we would like pre-sell most of the stuff. And um, people really liked that it was like this garage yeah. that we'd just like open up and then we'd like, we've put like this, we got this little sign made and we put it up on the, on the top of the garage. Big and balls. Yeah. Big balls. Yeah. That's right. We haven't said the name yet. Um, uh, as you can tell, like very um, creative. 
it kind of started as a joke, you know, because we were like, ah, oh, we're doing meatballs. It's going to be big balls. Big balls. Big balls. And then we said it so much and referred to it as big balls for so long right. while we were doing the recipes and things that it just became big balls. <laughs> but yeah, so we had this big, this big, big ball sign um, up on, um, up above our garage. And it looked really cool because it's like vines and stuff. It was mm. kind of like old looking. And then we painted the inside of the garage so it looked nice. We, oh, you painted it even. Yeah, yeah, put like some yellow paint down. Um, obviously cleaned the whole place up because it, yeah. it was a bit cobwebby and stuff before that. Um, and then we put all of our cooking sort of set up in there and like the gas bottles and things. Um, and, um, and, and then, yeah, just like kind of started posting funny videos and like, about what we were up to during the week and like we decided we would do like a one item menu so it's like this is the item you uh. can get it in like a, there's a meat variant but also a veggie variant each time and so we would do like the meatball sub one week or we did this chicken burger which was mean it was like i think one of the best chicken burgers yeah. i've ever had um and people love that chicken burger eh? like I think we still get messages from people <laughs> asking us when we're going to come back so we can get that chicken yeah. burger. <laughs> oh, that's how you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've been thinking about bringing it back, but it's just it's so much work. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe one day we'll do like a, a um, uh, a, uh, like a, uh, I don't know, like a renaissance, big <laughs> balls renaissance. Um, yeah, but that was really cool. That's when our um, sort of Instagram started taking off um, and people really started like connecting with the brand. Because um, one thing we found out through this was that like having like a fixed location with like a local group mm. really builds like a, a nice like brand and people can like connect with it better because it feels like it's something that's that's theirs and that they know about like, right um whereas when we we're doing like the food truck we're moving from place to place it was always different people new people and so it was really hard to make, build that connection and build that rapport like with the customer um and so we started getting like more followers and and then the spin-off did an article about us yeah i was gonna say yeah yeah which was, the, which was really cool and they said it was one of the best burgers in town yeah yeah, yeah it was and so, yeah, we were doing really good. Um, and this was um, sort of uh, over the Christmas, New Year's kind of break. And we thought that the summer would, would kick off again. Um, and then, it, like, doing it out of the garage was great. But, like, we weren't quite making enough um, money to sort of, like, make it... It wasn't, it wasn't really sustainable yet. I think okay. we had, like... Um, kept going it would have got there eventually but it wasn't quite sort of like you know paying the bills basically yeah um and uh and and then um we had this house that we bought as well and so we had this like mortgage that we needed to pay um and then Susie was getting quite worried about sort of finances and that kind of stuff and so she she ended up getting a job um at this like innovation consulting company which is really cool. It's a cool place. Um, but it meant that, like, I had to, like, take over yeah. <laughs> doing everything. Um, and as we went through before, I wasn't the one that was passionate about the food. Mm. And so I think what we did was the wrong thing. We should have kept Susie, <laughs> we should have kept Susie running the business. <laughs> and I should, have gone, I should have gone back to work. Yeah. 
But anyway, we, that was the decision we made. And it was like, oh, well, Susie can, like, help me on the weekends, like, do stuff. But, like, she's working, like, 40-hour weeks again. And it was, like, hard. Um, and then uh, the summer didn't really do what we wanted it to do. And then, like, I wasn't really enjoying you know, running the business on my own. Cause I like the thing that I really liked was that me and Susie did it together. It was like, that's what made it enjoyable. It was mm. like a real drag for me to do it on my own. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we ended up trying to sell it as like a business, but like it was hard cause no one wanted to buy anything at the time. Cause it was like, what's happening with COVID what's happening with these lockdowns, like blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, basically what we ended up doing was just selling all of the commercial equipment down and then selling the food truck sort of like like just as a as a shell basically um which was okay because we we recouped i would say most of what we spent on setting up the business yeah um but we did lose like all of the i guess the hard work that we put into sort of building the brand and yeah like creating um like a cool sort of food business um which was unfortunate but like i mean it's just the way things go you know um and then i went back to kpmg after that because <laughs> i was like i guess i just need a job <laughs> um which is unfair to the kpmg team because um i i did enjoy my time while i was there but yeah it was just the easiest option at the time was because they needed people and they knew that i was okay at my job <laughs> so i went to worked for them yeah yeah worked out worked out for the both of you and and after that you, you were there for a while and then um you joined where you are currently at which is a data solutions consultancy company yeah data so engine? um it's called data engine uh, or data engine mm. i guess depends on how you, <laughs> how you say it um and, and yeah so we're like a data consulting company basically um, and I guess the, the technology side of it is, is technologies related, related to data. Um, and it's mostly around building capability um, for businesses to sort of do their own analytics and take advantage of the data that they're collecting, you know, so they can do it themselves and, and actually, um, I guess, make data an asset for the business. Because um, I suppose what we were talking about earlier was that like data is so ubiquitous in the way that we um, sort of operate as consumers, but also like most successful businesses these days, especially the big ones, they're just data, they're data driven companies. Yeah. They're making decisions based off of like almost real time information from like their whole operation. Um, and I think there's a... Um, well, I don't think there's definitely like a, a gap where you sort of move down from those sort of top tier companies and um, you can see it like data becomes less and less important to to those businesses as you move move down right um, and so what we do is we sort of help people um, across the data journey so I guess when, when I think about the data landscape and let me know what you think because you work here as well but it kind of starts at the strategy um, side of things um, and that when I say strategy I mean like your data and technology strategy so mm. what what is your plan or what are your high level aspirations 
I guess strategy is kind of like a, a vague term, but like, mm. what are you trying to, what are you planning on doing with your data and technology that's going to enable you as a business to support your overall business strategy, right? Because everything sort of, or it should, it should all ladder down from what are you trying to achieve overall, right? Um, so I guess if you're, um, I don't know, Foot Locker or something, like yeah. maybe your strategy is to, um, sell more shoes <laughs> it's, a, it's not a good strategy but that's your that's your like maybe your strategy is to build revenue in um a new demographic so like bring on more 25 to 30 year olds maybe that's like part of your strategic mm. direction you want to bring in new people to the sneaker craze right um, and so like okay well how i guess and then your then it would be okay how are you going to use the data and technology that you've got in your business to support that sort of overall goal and that business strategy um, and that's kind of where i see um data starting um, and definitely where it starts for us at data engine um, and then if you go right to the other side You've got data products and then on also digital products, which are normally enabled through some sort of data set or data is feeding into it. Um, and so data products is a really interesting term, which I've only recently learned. Yeah, I've, I've started hearing it too. And what it, I guess I'd be interested to hear what you think sort of a, a data product is. From, from what I can see, it's quite a... Uh, at least in, in the in the places that it's been used before, it's quite a general term mm. from from what I can see. Yeah. Um, so it, it might even range from like um, you know, uh, like uh, from like building up data pipeline. Mm. So you know, it's just automating the whole flow of getting you know extracting and transforming and loading a data onto a platform mm. so that you can use it to you know, this machine learning model that's built on based on this training data set. Yeah, yeah. Um, so from from what I, I, I've been kind of digesting as anything that an end user can use mm. um, that's been built based on data set. Yeah. I, is that the kind of the what yeah. you think of it as data products? Definitely. That's a, I feel like it's a really good um, definition and I might steal it. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, um, that's that's basically what I think it is. It's yeah. like um, a curated set of data and it can be, you know, any set of data um, that's gone through some sort of loading and transformation to make it usable for an end user. Um, and so you're... It could be a data set on, um, I guess if, if we take the Foot Locker example, you mm -hmm. know, like um, shoe sales um, in the New Zealand region might be um, might be a data set that they've sort of curated and is now available to the business to use and, and run analytics over the top of it. Um, another really common data product is um, customer master data. So a fully curated view of like all of your customers and I guess all the products that they potentially could consume through your business. That's a, I think that's like the holy grail. Every mm. business is looking to understand <laughs> their customer in like a, um, what's the buzzword? 360, customer 360 right. is like the thing everyone's after. So yeah, you've got your data products on one end and you've got your data strategy on the other end. 
Um, and then you've also got digital products, which generally will be enabled by some sort of data set, probably that product, that data product that you've created already. Mm. Um, and then sort of everything that happens between that um, is, is kind of where um, where data engine has expertise and um, um, I guess can help businesses sort of like extract the best from the data that they're collecting. So whether it's setting up like communities of practice, um, the operating model that you will wrap around sort of like your technology that will help you create data products and create reports or to do analytics or to create digital apps. Um, and then um, what else? Um, uh, I guess data architecture is like a big part of what we do. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting for me as well because, like, um, I, I guess, like, fundamentally, I understand what data is, but there's so much intricacy that I've been learning over the last like six months around yeah. like how it all fits together, um, and that it's like a lot of the time I'm, I'm just like recalling information I've just learned, you know, <laughs> like I've just learned this new thing about how, um, you know, data modeling works, for instance, like the ELT process. Yeah. ETL. ETL. Yeah. Extract, transfer, yeah. load. Yeah. And so all of that's relatively new to me. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really cool to, I guess, have like a better understanding of like that end-to-end -end process of like moving from raw data or like that strategy layer to data platforms and nice of the cloud infrastructure that supports those data platforms through to like data products and then like who are the people you need like what do you need devops people do you need like mm -hmm. data engineers do you need software developers do you need a practice around those to like organize them and help them build better processes do you need to actually set up those processes that help them um you know create those data products um and i guess one thing that's been really interesting is data governance is mm. that something you guys have been sort of like talking about here a uh, lot? not not especially not too much mm. yeah well um i guess one thing that we've really noticed um at data engine is that a lot of new zealand businesses are quite they've got the technology you know they've got they've got their cloud infrastructure set up, they've got their data platforms, they're sort of collecting um, data and it's going into these data lakes. Um, and, and then they, maybe they've hired um, sort of data scientists, right? Um, and they've got use cases, they will want to do stuff with, with this data. And so they've got the data scientists and they're the data engineers and they're trying to solve some sort of problem. Uh, but then the, the projects are failing, right? Because um, the data that's coming through the system is not good. Mm. It's, it's not being cleaned properly. It's not being collected correctly. It's not um, structured in the right way. Um, and um, th that's making it hard for sort of your, I guess your projects to be successful because I guess you've got bad data coming in, which means you've got bad insights coming out to the other side, right? Um, and so data governance is like this, and process and structure that helps that, that basically helps you to make sure that the the end-to-end -end process of like taking data and collecting it 
through to like using it and how you uh, model it and how you store it and and sort of all of those things is is done um in a uh i guess um a logical and um process driven way to make sure that as good as you can get it the data is being um curated properly and and structured in a you know in a, a logical fashion so that you, when you do those when you finally get to those projects you're actually going to get something useful out of it because the um you've made sure that at each stage the information that you're collecting and using to run those insights has um uh, i guess been stored correctly and uh, modeled correctly so that it's nice and clean yeah oh true true yeah yeah um yeah i think i've heard that term before data governance um and i think yeah i think um now that i hear it, yeah i think we 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 have done that um we have done that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that different from data engineering? Yeah, so I guess data engineering is is is, is a function that sits within your like data team, right? Mm. Um so I guess if you, if you took like a really big organization you said, okay, what are, like what are the functions that you would normally have um in your IT and and data and digital teams you would have um You'd have like data engineers, data scientists. Um, you might have a data architect, depending on how big you are. There'd be like solution architects. You might have enterprise architects. So many architects. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, and so, so I guess data engineering is kind of like a role and they play a part in data governance. Um, right. So if you imagine um, data governance as like a layer that sits below the whole process okay so if you've got your your data strategy that exists over here um you've got some way to prioritize projects at, um, and then um, there's like a delivery team which would have your data engineers your devops mm. whoever's needed to like deliver this project data governance sits at the bottom to make sure that you know from the at each stage you're uh, you're looking after that data and treating it correctly. Right. So you've got policies and rules and, oh. and, and processes that sit around um, that's um, the delivery process, but also the actually collecting and storing of, of the data um, to make sure that the checks and balances have been put in place so that you haven't done anything like, I guess, I, I'm not I'm not a data governance expert, so <laughs> stretching my knowledge here, but like, it's it's the processes that, and and the policies and the rules that help you govern mm. the way that you use data, so that it remains, um, I guess, uh, consistent through through the delivery process, so that when your I guess when your project comes out the other side, you've got something useful. Yeah. Um. So it's not yeah. It's less it's less of a function and more of like a yeah. Yeah, an overarching thing. Yeah, that sounds like it. Who who's uh so so looking at like different people that's involved in say like delivering a product, mm. whose responsibility would it be would if would that would data governance fall under? Yeah, interesting question. So um yeah, I wish I had my data architect here. <laughs> Thunga, uh, she's she's um a data governance whiz. Um so um, hopefully I'm saying this correctly. I guess data governance is... Have you heard of data stewards? 
No. And data owners? Data owners, no. Okay, so... So, so in a business, right, you would have um, your your um, business business people who understand how how the business works, mm. right? Um, and then you might have your data users, who are people that um, use the data um, to run like BI reports or something mm. like that. Um, and then your data stewards are people that understand why the data looks that way in the business context right. so like um i don't know if we could carry on with the footlocker example they would understand you know um uh why the breakdown of revenue is done like on a on a line on a shoe line basis yeah like okay well these are the business reasons why we why the data is being collected this way they might not be experts um in the actual data or in using it or manipulating it but they know why they're why they're using it in a particular way so like you'd have these data stewards and then you'd have um your data architect who would set like um they're called uh, uh there's the logic logical data model and then there's a physical data model mm-hmm. and there's a conceptual data model mm-hmm. and so these are do you know have you heard of like Conceptual data models and logical data models and physical data nah. models. Um, so it's basically like the conceptual data model is a way to explain how um, how data should be um, structured within okay. your organization. Um, and it can be done at like a customer level or it can be done at a, at a product level. And normally they would be separated out. So if you've got like, I guess, discrete sets of data that are different enough, they would have their own conceptual data models and then you would have uh, a logical data model that sits underneath that that would detail in more specific terms what the how it's actually going to be um, laid out in your data lake sort of in your raw staged and curated layers Um, and then um, then your data engineer would be uh, sort of in charge of um, actually implementing the the logical data model and so then they would do the physical data model which is the actual implementation of that mm. um, and so data governance is kind of like a shared responsibility where the data architect works with you know the business to set up business rules that sort of inform um, how data is captured and how you make sure that you know the deduplication process runs correctly um, and that you're managing the information or the data that's coming through your business and ending up in that curated layer is is representative of what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and so you'd have your data engineers who help sort of actually implement that. Um, and then you've got your like data stewards um, and who would be the business experts that would sort of inform the business uh, need for how the data should be set up. Um, and so they would help, you know, with like policy setting um, and the business rules that sort of dictate how all that stuff set up um and yeah so it's like i don't think it's any one person's responsibility yeah because it's a big job to, sounds like Kurt. yeah, yeah. <laughs> to make sure everything's like captured correctly right um and it's definitely an area where new zealand businesses don't have well, haven't historically put a lot of focus um because it's been like, oh, get the tools and like try to do some stuff. 
And it's like, okay, well, now we're facing these data issues where, you know, we're using basically bad data. Um, so what we're finding is that a lot of people want to go back to the basics, set up the fundamentals, like make sure that everything's being captured into one place, it's being stored correctly, it's being modeled correctly and structured right so that when you do your projects, they, they can be successful, basically. And I hope that's not too boring. <laughs> I feel like I've been rambling. No, that's interesting because there's, there's kind of the side of the data that I haven't got too much experience mm, in. Yeah. And there there is a lot of sides of data that to explore. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, because you're involved in the analytics side of things, right? I'm mostly in the analytics side of things. And uh, through some studying for, like, because... Uh, you know, by studying for like some certificates, mm-hmm. um, like data work like for me, because we work a lot with Azure. Yes. Um, I was studying for Azure Data Engineering Associate Certificate. Um, and from through that, I learned about like data security, mm-hmm. uh, which I knew the practices of, but didn't know the ins and outs of. Yeah. Um, and data governance kind of side of things, you know, and those side of things it just touched upon very slightly yeah but it's something that i haven't really i guess like you know as as being a part of the data team we do it implicitly but it's not something that i've been aware of explicitly Mm. so um and like you said like the um the data stewards and data owner ownership side of things you know yeah Yeah, it's interesting hearing about different sides of sides of things it's a bit more you know business context yeah yeah. you know less analytical maybe yeah definitely i think yeah because there's there's like setting up the capability for for the business to i guess use their data and use their technology correctly and then there's the actual using of it right which is the, the analytics and like building out applications and which is sort of that front end side, um, and then I, th- I guess data governance kind of sits at the back end. Like it's it's the thing that's going to try and make sure everything yeah works the way it, that you want it to. I think something like that's really important. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Because it's like um, I guess if you're if you're capturing information incorrectly, like the whole point is that something might feed through the process you get to the other side you're like are there some inconsistencies coming through Mm. our analytics it's like okay well your governance process should be able to identify that yeah like channel it through your data engineers your data architects the the data team basically and and go okay well what's happening here and then you can find the the issue and then you can correct it and it might be like um input error at right at the yeah. front end or it could be some sort of transformation problem that happens where or they've changed the the front end well they've changed something in the capturing process which is which has changed the way that it feeds into the system and so now it's being transformed incorrectly and so that and then i guess your data governance process should have identified that before or mm. it actually gets there but you know it's yeah, that's nothing's perfect yeah yeah oh it definitely sounds like you learned a lot by you know well since you started working at data engine oh yeah man it's been it's been a whirlwind <laughs> like, getting up to speed eh? yeah because um, i mean how long how long have you been um working here i've been here for a year and a half yes yeah and i i had a lot of learning to yeah. do and i feel like i learn every day still you know totally. Which is a good thing, which Definitely. is a fun thing, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, because I guess, so my actual role, what I'm supposed to do, and they call me a solution lead consultant. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of a mouthful. But um, what, I, what I need to be able to do is like understand at a high level all the bits of the business and how they work enough to i guess have conversations with people um, and understand you know if i hear a particular problem i can be like okay that's kind of like feels like a data governance thing or this and then i can um engage with the correct technical expertise within our team Mm. and they can talk to it in much uh more detail you know in a better way than i can um but that basically means that i (laughs) really have to get like a broad understanding yeah. of like how the whole process works um which has been like real like I, so i've just i feel like i've been the last six months i've just blasted by yeah like not every surprised. day like new thing new thing i'm sure the same with you with like getting onto azure for the first time yeah like, absolutely there's so much like i've been on the i've seen the azure like i've been in there a couple times yeah yeah you know, the um portal yeah and it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I have to say, I mean, Microsoft, one of the biggest companies in the world, yeah. right? And Azure, you know, arguably one of the biggest cloud platform yes, service in the world, yeah. you know, alongside maybe GCP, um, Google Cloud Platform, yeah. and the AWS. Yeah. But um, I have to say the interface, I feel like they need to sort out the user interface, the usability of it. Because oh, honestly, like, I've used it several times. Sometimes I get confused. Like, how do I even go into Data Factory? How do I even go into Databricks? No, I, I don't know if I made it hard on purpose or not. I don't know what's <laughs> going on there. Because honestly, like, look at Power BI. Power BI, one of the most used BI mm. service in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they will benefit so much of it uh, being more usable, less buggy. Yeah. But I don't know. There's so so much little little things that... It's you expect it to be a feature, but yeah. it's not, or yeah. you expect it to do it this one way, but it doesn't do it that yeah. way, and it's yeah. I'm I guess I get surprised by that. I mean, I, I hope I'm not burning the bridges to Azure people here, but just a <laughs> constructive feedback, guys. Just uh, that's that's the experience that I get, and I know that I'm not the only one that feels that way. Um, so I feel like that's something that can be improved on if we wanted to lower the the skill floor a little bit you know because it, it is it does it is daunting yeah it's an interesting thing to bring up because like it, it is like i've looked at it and like it doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me um and i guess i've got no real background in it mm. so I, i'm like oh it doesn't make any sense but it I, i've watched um uh, one of our data architects, she runs like workshops with the university um, to sort of, I, don't know, I guess, bring industry experience to to um, uh, the data science club at Auckland Uni. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so it was with her, like helping her do this workshop and, and she walked us through it and she's like, okay, this is how it works. And so my job was to basically just rote learn the process <laughs> so that if there were issues um, with any of the students trying to like do stuff, we could go and like troubleshoot um without slowing down like the presentation it yeah no, it doesn't make any sense i was like you've got to click on like this particular button if you want to do this like opening a resource and then like creating like a workspace mm. and they're like different but you can 
select the workspace from here, but you can't create a new one. The <laughs> button doesn't work, but it's there. Yeah. But it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, and so it definitely feels like, yeah, the interface there. I, I don't know if it's a problem with they've just got so much functionality mm. built into that portal that it's actually just impossible to optimize to like, I guess, a customer experience kind of level yeah I, I wonder i almost feel like just because seeing how big they are seeing what they're capable of because they're not they're not short of talents there uh, you know what i mean yeah. they're not short of talents there they're not short of reach to get talents if they need it there yeah, right yeah. that's why i think like is there some reason why it's hard on purpose i don't know that's like yeah, yeah i mean if you want to go down the like conspiracy is, this is a tinfoil head <laughs> kind of moment but like pick it back up yeah, yeah. Um, i mean yeah like i guess it's been proven i think it's been proven that most sort of like hardware um i guess apple you know they build obsolescence into the products right mm. um and they they purposefully make it hard to to self-repair yeah those kinds of things um which they're trying to change in Europe at the moment. Um, um, I, actually, I think recently they made it a requirement that all phones sold in Europe will now need to come with a um, battery that you can replace. Oh, that's cool. That's really um, cool. Yeah, so yeah. they're moving to this like what's it, self-repair. There's like some movement around mm. you know, the right to repair. Yeah. Um, and that means that anybody can fix things. So it's like you don't need specialist knowledge to do it. Um so yeah, like potentially that it's like it's this like built-in um, complexity, which yeah. sort of like narrows the uh, or requires um, you to take certification exactly to, to get um, certified to use the product. Yeah, um, and I guess if users can get certified and then they sort of pay money for that to get certified that's revenue um, but also like there's like this implicit if you get certified it must mean that it's doing something that's worth getting certified for yeah you know so like almost like how um in the law profession they limit the number of students that can get into law right, right. so that they limit the number of lawyers that come out the other end so that they can keep a lock whether or not it's to maintain the like level of lawyer that's entering the market or if it's to you know keep lawyers as like a, a scarce resource whatever you know in a similar way they make it complex to use these systems i'm not saying that's actually what's happening but <laughs> like maybe um maybe yeah. but it seems it seems logical yeah that's true that's true yeah make it scarce make it uh, less accessible on purpose so yeah like you said people need to get certificates and mm. yeah that's that's interesting yeah do you i but this is also coming from me who's only used azure and haven't really used like aws for example mm. which is like a competitor right um i i don't know how that compares maybe it's really bad over there maybe i'm i've been spoiled maybe i've been spoiled <laughs> and i'm like complaining like a child whereas you know, maybe AWS is super bad, and you compare in comparison. I, I doubt it, but you know. Yeah, um, I can't say because I've not seen the AWS platform properly. Yeah. Um, but 
I reckon it's probably pretty similar. Yeah. You know, because you still need AWS certifications, right? Like, yeah. how do you use the platform? How do you use, like, um, you know, all the tools that they've got in, in the portal? And, and yeah. Yeah, it feels like a industry decision to... It, maybe it wasn't done like that on purpose, but has been built complicated because the people that have used it sort of their understanding has grown with the system and so you know there's like un unconscious decision to make a complex has just right. arisen because it was like oh well, we'll just dump capability onto there yeah we won't think about too hard because the people that are using it kind of get it already and that they'll figure it out you know right and maybe that's like initially drove it in that direction i don't know yeah yeah I wonder, I wonder, yeah, because it's such, yeah, I wonder, even, even like studying for certificates, mm. oh, I don't know, some of the texts that, because they've got like learning modules that, that you follow to get the certificates, mm-hmm. I don't know, I have to say, like, and I love data things, right? Yeah. But some of the driest things I've yeah, ever yeah. read, yeah. and I'm sure like someone in Microsoft could have written it bit more easier to yeah. read you know a bit more accessible a bit more structured yeah. so that the flow makes sense yeah that was yeah yeah i mean totally i guess there's only three there's only really three of them right so you kind of got to use one mm. and if you want to know how to use it you got to read this document <laughs> yeah and, like it says everything in it that it needs to say yeah yeah it does say everything <laughs> <laughs> like they're like what it's just basically like they why bother updating that because it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be um a pain it would it would be it, it, it is a big job yeah i think microsoft does a good job of like um building out the ecosystem and locking people into like their tool set yeah because they get like everybody involved with like you know power bi like yeah microsoft 365 they're easy business tools and then it's like, oh, well, why don't we just use Microsoft Cloud to support all of that? Because it kind of integrates really easily. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's just like, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> it does feel nice, though. Like, when once I get my head around that. Yeah. And once I get my head around it and clicking away and I'm like, whoa, like, I do feel nice. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I am smart. I am smart. Yeah, just because yeah. you know where you started from. Yeah. And then seeing seeing where you are now you're clicking away and you you know how to do these things and you know how to find this button that's hidden like inside like 10 other buttons you know and you're like i am nice with it Uh, yeah it's it's interesting because i think like that whole interface that that we're talking about right is like okay well how do you interact with this digital environment to get it to do stuff that you want it to do right because i guess fundamentally you know what you want it to do yeah um the tools can do it like the functionality is there the thing that's missing is like the um, ability to actually execute on that and not because you're missing like intelligence or whatever it's just like like oh where do i click yeah Where's that button how do i do that thing yeah because i guess like if you're a trained data scientist or you're a trained data engineer, like you, you kind of know like how data should flow and like what, what are the activities that need to occur, but you've got to have the skill to do it in a Azure or AWS. Yeah, that's true. Or cloud or wherever. Um, but I think that 
should change relatively soon um, with like, I guess, AI assistance in, mm. in that area, right? Yeah. Because no, like the AI could become a domain expert in how to use Azure and you could say, okay, well, I want to build a model. I want to bring in this sort of data set and I want it to, to, to do these kinds of transformations and you're just telling, I don't know, Greg, the the Azure AI assistant, yeah. um, what to do, and then Greg will go away and, and click all the buttons for you and, and, and like make it all happen. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe they were banking on that the whole time. Maybe. Could be, could be. Because even right now, I asked ChatGPT yeah. what to do, you know, some of the things I don't know how to do on Power BI, for example, yeah, yeah. and it's pretty good. It tells you like what to click, you know, yeah. the inputs to put in and things like that. Yeah. So you know it's it's not we're not far away from that definitely definitely um have have you noticed chat gpt getting worse chat gpt getting worse nah i i don't not i like these days yeah so oh. um there's this interesting thing that's happening uh, with these large language models that are um i guess freely accessible right um it's called it's called AI drift or or data drift. Okay. Um, basically, the um, the AI's the large language model is getting too much data um, or too much bad data. Mm. So, like I guess um, in areas like uh, basic mathematics, it's getting worse at being able to give you the answer really? because more <laughs> more stupid people are <laughs> giving it giving it bad. You know, like you. Like feeding it bad information because it's like yeah. self-learning and learns on top of what it's, you know, being talked to about. Um, and then it's like reinforcing that stuff. So, yeah, when you when you allow it to, uh, I guess, have too broad of a knowledge, you can, you can face these issues of like data drift or AI drift where uh, you'll get more vague or less correct answers because there's too much information available. Right. Yeah, it's not specific enough. Um, and so that's one of the, one of the like, um, I guess, one of the uh, uh, problems or one of the issues, mm. challenges that's facing the sort of like uh, development of these like more general AIs. And so I think that currently mm. the thinking is to create domain expertise. Yeah. So um, to use the engine that drives Llama or use the engine that drives um, ChatGPT um, or use the engine to drive that drives stable diffusion and um, uh, tune it on specific data, give it like give it expertise in a particular area. That way you can limit um, what its understanding is mm. and so it can be way more of an expert in a particular area. Yeah. And you can tune it, you can say, this is more correct information. This is correct information. Right. And and then that way um, you can sort of address that uh, data or AI drift um, by, by I guess, by creating multiples of the same thing, but it's more, it's better at particular activities. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting topic, hey, because... That's the, one of the limitations of AI. It's always limited. It's as good as the data it gets mm. being fed to. Yeah. Um, but having said that, though, it's kind of it's same with people, right? Like if you are learned that if you are told 
you know, two plus two is five our whole life, we would think that two plus two equals to five, right?、Yeah. So it's an interesting topic. And how do we? I guess one thing could be that we find a way for AI to recognize when it's a bad data somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And、so、it'd be like in the same way that humans think critically. Yeah. Teach it to, to have,、uh, or to yeah, to apply critical thought. Yeah. Or to recognize, okay, I've got ten bits of data. They're all saying two plus two is four, and then I've got this one dude telling me two plus two equals five. Like, I think we should ignore that one. We'll go with this one here. Yeah.、Um, and then maybe being able to recognize like.、Um, Uh, what, what do you call it?、Uh, more trusted data sources. So you could be like, "Well, I've got a hundred people telling me it's five, but actually, this maths professor <laughs> is saying it's four." <laughs> so, For sure. And so maybe we should believe the maths professor. I guess that would be the same way that humans do it, right? Is by you'd you'd learn what what is. I guess who to trust and what、yeah. information to trust. It's like googling something on the web and. Going to the most trusted site compared to, you know,、yeah. freeiphone.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> If it's free, then. If it's free, then might as well grab it. Oh, put in bank details. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no one's tried it. Has anyone tried? It? I can't believe none of my friends are doing this.、Yeah. <laughs> by the way, we're not sponsored by freeiphone.com. <laughs>、oh, unless you know. <laughs> unless freeiphone.com. Unless freeiphone.com. <laughs> I might actually buy the domain after this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it's gonna go off nowadays so, on the、yeah. website. This is quite a, a big podcast, isn't it? It is a big podcast. <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything that goes on here, look, you know, as you saw. Yes,、yeah, big place. Yeah, big, it's a, it's a huge、energy. place. My studio.、Yeah. My studio. How did you find the、uh, transition from working at KPMG as a management con- management consultant? Yes. To being a data solutions lead. In your current place,、mm. yeah, interesting.、Um, so I think there are two, three big changes between what I did at KPMG and what I do at Data Engine. So the first one would be the industry, right? So I'm moving into quite a specific industry in, in the data world,、um, at which I didn't have like deep experience in.、Um, So I came from more of like an operational background, doing like supply chain work, demand forecasting, supply forecasting, not the actual forecasting, but like you know setting up teams and like creating,、uh, I guess operating models and stuff.、Mm. And so like I've kind of transferred those skills over to data engine because there is a component of like process and strategy and prioritization and like. Process and operate model stuff that we do, and that that I can pull my KPMG experience into. But the domain is like completely different, right? So the there are things that work both ways, and like general how you set teams up, whatever.、Um, but yeah, quite a different industry to be focusing on. So it's like. Yeah, getting up to speed with what Azure is,、mm. what is AWS, what is Google Cloud.、Um, what does an architect do? Why are there three different types of architects? 
actually there's more than that <laughs> there's um and you know like what are the roles that sit within a data team and like what do they generally do and like how, yeah so there was lots of just figuring out that so that was a big a big change and just i guess my strategy was just uh, listen just <laughs> listen thought, yeah just I just listened to everything that everyone was saying. I asked lots of questions. I mean, I, I guess the only way you can really do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was it was it wasn't easy. Um, I guess luckily for me, I tend to take on new information reasonably quickly. Um, but also, once I've start, sort of decided on something, it kind of becomes the truth to me. <laughs> and so if I if I've misheard or like not quite understood properly, but I've decided that I've I've got it now. <laughs> <laughs> do a bit of relearning later on yeah um so the other big thing was that kpmg is a big big business right it's global but the new zealand one is sort of owned locally um so it, it's a big business with a lot of history and there's a particular way that they do things and um so there's lots of process there's the futures sort of set out for you you know what the what the is going to look like mm. um Whereas data engine, I was like the third person employed there um, uh, in a full-time sort of capacity. They had lots of contractors and things um, sort of leading up to when I joined. Um, so going from a really quite a process-oriented big business to like a small business was quite a big change. Because it's a similar environment, right? Like working in like a office on a desktop, like kind of doing the same stuff, but in a small business kind of setting. Um, so I guess similar to what I was doing at Big Balls where you kind of had to do whatever, you had to do everything. Like yeah. You had to organize it all. Um, but Big Balls was making food and talking to customers, you know, like really quickly and that kind of that kind of stuff. Whereas what I was doing, what I'm doing at um, Data Engine is like, replying to all of our customers, talking to everybody, you know, like understanding all of the projects that we're working on, not just being able to focus on like one particular project, which is kind of how KPMG work. You would, mm. you might have like, you might have two or three projects, you know, at a push. Um, and so like that, that shift in, um, I guess in culture and organizational structure and size, that, that was a big, that was a big change. Um, and it just meant, uh, yeah, I guess, there was less structure at da a data engine um it was i kind of had to figure it out and do everything myself um i wouldn't say less direction from um sort of um my peers and boss but like definitely um more autonomy you know and like an expectation to kind of just to give it a go and like be part of all all parts of the business yeah um and then doing that at the same time as learning about the industry. <laughs> um, and then the other aspect that's quite different is um, it's de it was like definitely a more senior position. Um, and I had to get involved with like um, the front end sales aspect of the business. So part of what I do is like talk to potential new clients or people that want to know a bit more about Data Engine so that they can uh, understand what we do and have a conversation and see how what kind of challenges they're facing and how that aligns to sort of the stuff that we do and yeah and so 
whereas at KPMG, um, most of my client interaction occurred uh, post post sale, so I didn't, I wasn't really involved in the f- the front end part, mm. um, but like the project part of it, yeah, pretty similar. So those are the three major changes. Yeah. Um, different size and type of business, um, the industry change, and then just a, a change, a general change in like the the kind of work that, that I'm doing in terms of like I'm delivering projects and delivering work to the client, but also involved in that front end sales mm-hmm. part. So trying to wrap my head around all of those different aspects of it it took it took a long time and i think i've only really just sort of got comfortable in it yeah yeah and do you have any early impressions in terms of your preference because it's like working at a like you said uh very two different environments right yeah because i know some people don't like to work in a big company Mm. you know they only like smaller you know smaller companies yeah it's um so I think one thing that Data Engine shares with KPMG is it's um, it's, it's a consulting style business, right? So we um, we solve other people's problems, <clears throat> um, and then there's that client aspect of what we do. I'm sure you sort of understand mm. this. You know, you've got clients that you work for as well. So it's like um, they're quite similar in like what is what you need to be doing like how like what kind of person you need to be to be successful in that kind of area which is like you basically just need to be flexible and know that the client is going to change their mind a lot and just be okay with the fact that you're going to have a plan it's going to change and then it's going to change again (laughs) you know like and just try we'll try and manage that and mitigate as much as possible but you know things happen um and, and then I think there are like other small businesses which perhaps um, are more, they don't sort of do client work. Um, and I think that would be quite nice because you kind of do, you know, you're done, you do your regular job. Mm. You might work a little bit harder and like work across a few more things, but um, you don't have that added like client pressure, which I think is a massive, a massive part of like the consulting world. It's like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because it's like, that's your customers who you who you're selling to and you're sort of like you need to be providing them with what they want yeah or what they need <clears throat> but you also need to adhere to the original plan and scope to make sure that you deliver what you were supposed to and what you said you were going to so that you don't blow the budget and that yeah. kind of stuff um so whether or not, like, which one do I prefer? Um, I think starting out as a grad or as a junior resource going into um, KPMG was really good. It set me up with, like, a lot of, I guess I get to see how how it all worked and, like, how projects functioned um, and, you know, how to work with clients and what to do when the project starts going wrong and what a really bad project looks like, <laughs> you know, Um and so, like, I'm grateful for that experience. Um, I do like working at Data Engine now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have been set up and capable and ready to dive into this kind of environment as a graduate. Right. Um, just because it's um, it's so... It, it's still quite unstructured. You know, the business is building the processes and the foundations internally um, that will lead to... 
um, an easier to understand and a more coherent business for new people to enter. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think as a graduate, that would have been really overwhelming to be a part of. Um, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely a, um, a cool place to like experience those things and like mm-hmm. be part of that, like forming of the business. Like how, how do we want to operate? Like, like how do we actually want to run this business? You know, what do we want to do? Um, which is not something you would get at KPMG. Yeah. I mean, that being like a massive company, yeah, right? Yeah. International company versus somewhere you're joining as the third employee that yeah. they've hired, you will have much bigger say in where the company culture yeah, and yeah. where the company is heading. Yeah, that's right. And it's really cool. I think it's, I think for me at this particular moment, like awesome, like really cool to get involved with that. Um, and we are recruiting at the moment for um, some some interns. So I saw, oh, was it intern? I, I did see like a job posting yeah. on there. Some, yeah. So a grad role. We've got a grad role, um, an intern role, and we're looking for a solution architects. That's the one that yeah, I saw, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think now's the right time for grads and interns to come on because mm. we've kind of got a baseline of what the processes look like. So it's looking pretty good. We've got an office manager now, so she helps with all the admin and stuff. Because before we had her, it was like, it was me, Akash, um, the CEO, and Glenn, the COO. And <laughs> we were just like manic, you know, like, oh, we're going to do this. It's like, we're doing this process, like writing reports and stuff. And it was kind of all over the place. Um, but now there's a few more people in the team. And, and we've had a bit of time to like set up the process to get everything sorted out. Yeah. So it's good. Sounds like you guys are growing. Yeah. You guys are growing. Yeah, we are growing. We are growing really a lot. I yeah. Think. Um, so yeah, we've got a few new clients coming on um, soon, and um, well, actually, they're 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 onboarded now, mm. um, and we've got um, some current clients with that have, you know, we've got a really good working relationship with them, and I, and hopefully, um, no, we definitely are delivering a lot of value into them and helping them sort of do what they need to do. Um, setting up like data platforms yeah all that kind of stuff but yeah it's definitely growing quickly and um it's cool to to have that kind of i guess impact on what the business is doing and that was also one of the reasons why i wanted to join uh, because i was like oh data digital that's the thing and then i was like but also i'll be able to have an influence on like where we go and what we do Uh, and so i that was that was intriguing for me yeah What's happening with uh, Cohen? Is it Cohen oh, Outdoors? Yes. Yeah, you can look at my Cohen. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, so... Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's like kind of a venture. Because I think the last post on the uh, Big Balls Instagram, which is Big Balls in Your Mouth, is that the Instagram tag? Uh, I think it's uh, meatballs in your mouth. Meatballs in your mouth. Yeah. And I think the last tag was that you guys been working on Cohen Outdoors, right? Yeah, so yeah, interesting, Cohen. Um, so during the, the lockdown, um, the most recent one, there was nothing going on. We were doing food truck stuff because everything was closed. We were kind of bored at home. Um, and we just kind of decided we're going to do this like outdoor brand called Cohen. Um, And uh, long story short, we started importing uh, 
Snow Peak products into New Zealand, which uh, is like a high-end Japanese outdoor camping oh, and equipment That's cool, brand. yeah. And um, so they've been growing really quickly um, globally. And so we thought, oh, cool, it'd be good to get like a partnership with them. We yeah. can like um, bring their stuff in and um, sort of sell it in New Zealand. Um, but it's just been it's just been real difficult to carve out time to do that. Yeah, I think I think we were ambitious, thinking that we could do the work that we're doing because Susie's got quite a um, demanding job as well. She's also like homing consulting, and and my work's obviously hectic at the moment because like you know it was just us and now we're growing and like yeah so there's like lots to do all of the time. Um. And so, yeah, I think trying to build a retail business and brand is <laughs> like a side hustle. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if it was the best um, best decision, but, you know, we kind of made these decisions and these like purchasing decisions because um, you got to buy like almost a year in advance. Oh, okay. Yeah, to like secure the stock and stuff. So we, wow. we placed a few orders and like things were coming in. Um um, and and we kind of thought like oh yeah we we love the outdoors like it'll be cool, um, but the thing with retail is you got to be passionate about selling products to people, okay. or you've got to be passionate about like the product you're selling, um, and I love going outside and doing outdoor activities like yeah climbing or you know skiing and all that kind of stuff, camping but I I like it yeah I'm definitely not like <laughs> passionate about like retail and like selling it. Um, and it just it requires a certain level of like um, persistence uh, and consistency and and uh, and I guess drive in order to make it successful. And I don't think as a team that we had um, all of the elements to make it really successful. So I guess long story short is that we're trying to wind that down at the moment. Uh-huh. Um, so we've got. Um, We've got all of our Snoopy gear. We've got some um, apparel and stuff that we're selling. Um, we're basically what we're just going to do is just not buy any more stock and, yeah. and sell what's sell what's left over. Um, and uh, and I, I think what, I think the other thing that made it difficult is that it's a premium product, so it's expensive. Mm. Um, and then when you compare that to what's available in New Zealand and like maybe purchasing habits or like the demographics in New Zealand, like the market for these high-end products isn't isn't that big. Yeah. Um, and so you're really competing on like a like a small group of people. There's not a lot of precedent set in New Zealand for the style of high-end product, um, as in like high-end camping and outdoor equipment, uh, but also like the clothing is quite expensive. Mm. So I think there are a range of factors that went into – um, I guess it not really, um, not really being uh, the success that we had envisioned it, it to be. Yeah, and I definitely think it's down to like our lack of effort that we've put into it. Right. Because like with big balls, it was like full time. We were into it. It was like going really well. Um, and then uh, the the pandemic sort of happened. But with Cohen, it's kind of been like, ah, oh, we bought all the stock. We need to sell it. Uh, but we all working like 40 hour weeks it's hard to like hive out time on the weekends to like do the necessary things to like make it successful um so it's but yeah it's been like 
Definitely an interesting learning experience. <laughs> Do you have any next adventure lined up in terms of side hustle? Um, I've been really, as I, I was telling you earlier that I've got this, uh, uh, me and Susie own this apartment uh, on Queen Street. It's like a tiny 30 square meter studio apartment. Mm. Um, and I've, uh, on the weekends I go there and I do DIY mm. and I've been loving that. So what I would love to do is just make my side hustle, just me doing DIY on the weekend. Yeah. That'd be cool. I really like cutting things, <laughs> you know, using tools. I don't know. You like cutting things? Oh, but I don't know. I just, I feel like I could go to the apartment and I could spend, you know, like 12 hours there just toddling around. Yeah. Like, touching stuff up and like doing a bit of this and like researching the best thing to do like and like i could do that forever really? i feel like really yeah, I, i really like it i think maybe because it's so um like physical and like um tangible whereas the work i do day to day is quite um Yeah. Uh, Non-tangible is kind of ethereal. It's kind of stuff that happens over there. In the cloud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And maybe like an influence from your dad too? Yeah, yeah. We used to do DIY all the time yeah. when I was a kid. Um, and I really like it because it's like the thing that interested me about um, Cohen was there was a, like a aesthetic design element to it. And, And it you like, like that? Yeah, I was yeah. like, it looks... Looks nice. The clothes are cool. Like there's like a Japanese crisp crispness to everything. Yeah. Um, and I'm finding with like the DIY or the renovating, like that part of it, which I don't think I knew I would enjoy as much. I'd be really like, oh, cool. Like that looks really nice. Like we could put it over here. Yeah. And like, and, like I've been getting into that kind of stuff, so it's cool to, I know, explore that creative side of things a bit more. You know. Yeah. Oh, no, that's cool. That's cool. Well, um, as uh, as part of this uh, interview, look. Yes. Um. Yeah, we're just we're just wrapping wrapping things up now. Oh, cool. R wrapping things up now, but before before we end there, I I do have the uh quick quick segment yes. to finish it off. But before that, uh, yeah, it's it's been awesome hearing like your conversations, look, because. Like me coming from like a math stats background, mm -hmm. and you know, through my journey ending up in this data space, like I feel like I've seen mostly people that come from these mathematical statistical backgrounds, yeah. um, who did modeling and then they, you know, did like a data, uh, like degrees, and then they kind of ended up where mm -hmm. they are. So it was really interesting hearing your, you know, your background, where you come from, and then how you ended up here and the work that you're doing now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, uh, and like, like we discussed, you know, you have a very kind of over, like good overview of, of kind of the data scene and how it links up with everything else. And mm -hmm. uh, so it was really interesting hearing about that. And I think a lot of, my friends at least will find this interesting and super helpful yeah cool i'm glad i'm glad I, yeah i'm glad you found it interesting yeah <laughs> um, definitely yeah i think um i guess that's kind of my job is to what i do is, yeah. is to provide like um a different perspective on um or a different way to explain the same material you know because sometimes um People that come from a technical background don't necessarily um, 
speak the same language as people that come from sort of a business background. For sure. And so, yeah, a lot of what I do is like bridging the gap between the two. Yeah. So that, you know, your CDOs, your executive staff and your leadership team can sort of understand the data world and how it can be beneficial, you know. Yeah, and I think the way that we are we're going, it's going to be more and more relevant because they're, you know, like like I was saying, you know, like we used to only see people in data space from data science mm-hmm. bachelors, yeah. from like mathematics, statistics bachelors, computer science. But now we're seeing it from everywhere like yourself. Um, so I think that's going to be more and more relevant to, totally to the coming yeah. times, right? Definitely. I mean, as as the digital world sort of collides yeah. with everything, it's just going to be, you know, more and more important to, Absolutely. to have a sort of understanding about how how it works. Yeah, because even, even in my, like, little bubble as well, like, before you know how to code, you're good to go. But now you're expected to know statistical models, you're expected to maths, you're expected to, um, like, communicate with clients. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're expected to know all these more what what would be traditionally considered as software engineering or computer science mm-hmm. jargons. Now those lines are being more and more blurred, and I think those blurry lines will only get get bigger. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I think so. as the sort of technology changes as well, the ability to to span across all those things will sort of. Um, uh, become easier right? e- easy yeah yeah for sure for sure well thanks look and if if uh uh if anyone wants to contact you or do you like to plug any you know any instagram uh, like i think we mentioned the big balls in your mouth right yeah, meatballs in your mouth meatballs in your mouth i think that's our um instagram handle for for the big balls food truck um cohen outdoors if you're looking for some um, outdoors high quality japanese um camping equipment and clothing um and then uh data engine uh, i don't think we have a data engine instagram yeah like uh, a LinkedIn? you can find it on um on linkedin linkedin yeah data engine yeah data space um and then yeah we've got a website as well which is just data engine.co.nz yeah um yeah that's those are all my plugs <laughs> and what about um are you happy for people to contact you on LinkedIn at all? Or is LinkedIn yeah, totally. the best place to hit you up? Yeah, if anybody wants to talk to me about anything, as you can tell, I love talking. <laughs> <laughs> you should have your own podcast look. Yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, yeah? I, I think about a lot of things, though. So yeah, yeah, no, but you have interesting interest. Like, I mean, we, di- we didn't get to talk about it, but your boxing, for example, you know. Oh, you're yeah. super yeah. into boxing ones. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I do I do have a varied and I think yeah, I just do a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I eventually yeah, I get a lot of interest. But yeah, um if if anybody does want to contact me, I'm so happy to have a have cool. a chat. Um and you can reach out through LinkedIn um or through one of the Instagrams. Um I've got a personal Instagram. If you look up Luke McLeod. Luke McLeod. Wait, a, is it just Luke McLeod one word? Um, I need to look that up. I can't remember what it is now. Okay. I, um, yeah, it's, but yeah, if you find me on LinkedIn, that's that's also good. Yeah, I'll link everything in the show notes, guys. Awesome. So, well, thanks, Luke. And here are some, these are some quick fire questions, oh, Luke. Cool. <laughs> so I've just got five quick fire questions. Nice, nice. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do I have to answer fast? 
Well, uh, <laughs> you can think about it. Yeah. You can think about it. But I'll it's try answer quick enough. <laughs> quick enough. Let's make the yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So say data engine disappeared from the universe. Yes. And now you're on your own, and you you can't get a job. You have to start your own business, right? What would you do? Um, if I did just start something tomorrow, and data didn't exist, mm. and I couldn't get a job, what would I do? Oh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> I haven't even thought about this. Like, um, and going back to big balls is an option, and going working on Cohen Outdoors is an option too. I think if data engine disappeared and I couldn't get a job, yeah. um, I might just scrap the corporate world, you know? I feel like it seems to have abandoned me. <laughs> you know? I'm going to go... Um, I probably wouldn't go back to Big Balls because I feel like I've closed that chapter off. Right. Um, I don't think I'm passionate about Cohen mm. enough to like push that to what it needs to be. Um and so I think I think I would probably just go do something really left field, like yeah. um I don't know, I was really into pottery at some point. Yeah. Um and I've been really enjoying sort of like doing um uh doing the apartment. Yeah. So maybe I would like try and do more like DIY and then build like some sort of like little property yeah, yeah. little property empire or something. <laughs> But it's just me and I go and I fix everything in the house. <laughs> you know, so it's just like, it's not a big empire. There's like three, I'm just like toddling away yeah. and stuff. No, that sounds cool. You're into pottery? Um, yeah, I've got a pottery wheel at home. Really? <laughs> yeah, I haven't used it in ages. It's <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning to um, make some more stuff, but oh, gosh, it's so hard to find time these yeah. days. Yeah, but you you have to shape it and then you have to like put it in the oven and everything, right? Yeah, you've got to have a kiln. So you fire it twice. Okay. So you do like one firing to, to harden the clay um, and then you would glaze it. Yeah. Um, unless you don't want to glaze it, but then you would fire it again mm. um, and that would set the glaze and stuff. Yeah. And th those fires, you have to go to a place, eh? Place for those, right? Yeah, so... Oh. You can buy them. Okay. They're like very, they're very expensive. Mm. Um, I, I think like tens of thousands of dollars, unless you get like an old one. Um, but yeah, they're, I, I don't think they're that easy to find. Yeah. Um, but there is a lady up the road from me that does it. Oh. Has a kiln, and I was oh, like, that's cool. I was like, okay, cool. I'll make my pottery. I'll go to her. Yeah. And she can fire it for me. But yeah, just another side thing. Wow, <laughs> that's cool. I, I've done pottery once. Oh yeah, and that was fun. It's cool. That was really fun. I really like how like just tactile it is. You kind of like yeah. push it into place, and then you make a thing. Yeah, it's quite satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's uh, uh, that's a cool answer. Look. Okay, good. Um, number two, <laughs> yeah. you recently got engaged. Woo! Your your proposal was very successful. Clearly, yes. Because Susie said yes. <laughs> Do you have any advice for people who are planning to propose? Um, yeah, I've got plenty of advice. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, so um, definitely get the ring 
organized before <laughs> the proposal. Hundred <laughs> percent, number one piece of advice: have that sorted out. So well in advance. Yes, well, yeah. well, like at least a couple of days before. <laughs> <laughs> you want to have the actual ring ready to go, and um, but if. If you are thinking of doing like some sort of stand-in ring, also have that prepared mm. at least a couple of days in <laughs> advance because I think I didn't do either of those. And, uh, <laughs> although the proposal was really cool and like um, and obviously um, somewhat of a success, and um, what I found is that um, I haven't done uh, probably what it was necessary in order to you know do the final bit or get the proper ring involved um but no some serious advice i think um just make sure you do something that you're comfortable doing um so like uh, i think when you're proposing to somebody that you're in love with um it, they'll just be stoked you know um and so you should do something um, that you are comfortable doing so that, you know, it doesn't get like too, I don't know, so you don't get too nervous. You don't want to like be so nervous that it becomes like a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah, as long, just probably just do it. Just do just, it. Just do it. Whatever it is, just do it. Um, and then, it, yeah, if the person loves you back, then they mm. won't really care too much, you know, how it all went down. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, speaking of Lex Friedman, um, on my way here, I was listening to his podcast with uh, Andrew Huberman. Oh, yes. And they were talking about relationship. And they said to find, uh, um, from, from their experience, mm. the successful relationship that they've seen mm-hmm. are the ones that uh, though each... O- each person involved in the relationship felt 100% about the relationship. Mm. What do you think about that? So the most successful relationships are those that, um, where both people are 100% about the relationship. So they're 100% committed and they know that the other person's 100% committed and it goes both ways. Is that kind of... I think I think it's more that uh, I don't know about that each of them knowing that the other one's hundred percent committed. Okay. But like for example, like Andrew Huberman had a friend who was in like a long term happy as relationship, mm-hmm. and talking to him about it, uh, his friend was telling him that he just felt uh, like he just felt hundred percent. So not to say that there was no issues or. Mm. There wasn't in there, you know. Every relationship is to have issues, right? Yeah. So, so it's not it's not that everything is perfect or yeah, anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But I think it, it was more that um, the, it 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 wasn't it wasn't described like very technically. Mm-hmm. But the way it was described was that he felt his friend Andrew's friend felt just hundred percent about the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think there are a lot of adjectives that could follow that hundred yeah. percent. Um, okay, so it's yeah. a general feeling of like just hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, yep, yeah, that sounds right to me. Um, I definitely feel a hundred percent about Susie. Yeah. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Um, and hey. um, I'm pretty confident she feels a hundred percent about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I think yeah, when I look 
at my previous relationship, mm. which um, has, is still a longer relationship than the one I've yeah. had with Susie. Um, I like if I if I actually reflect on that relationship and think about it properly, mm. I I definitely wasn't a hundred percent about that relationship, right. and I don't think I was a hundred percent about it for like a lot of it mm. you know what i mean so for for a majority of it you knew you you were 100 percent. yeah or like I, maybe i didn't know explicitly yeah but i think that's because i wasn't 100 percent about it i think when you are 100 percent about it you kind of know you're like yeah. oh yeah like this is and that's why i proposed to Susie. i guess kind of quickly you know i was like i just think this is it you know i don't expect anything better it's a funny way to put it, but like, yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, d- definitely it's only going to work if both of you feel that way. Yeah. Because right? I think I've definitely heard of people being blindsided, you know, mm. being broken up out of the blue. Uh, and potentially I did that to my ex-girlfriend. I don't think so. I reckon she knew that, right. <laughs> that things weren't great. <laughs> or if she didn't, then she was blind or something um but yeah yeah definitely i think yeah yeah and i think um when i look at my parents as well like they they seem like they're a hundred percent about each other yeah Yeah. oh well there 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 you go yeah two more data points oh to to say that that's that's interesting because i mean obviously you guys are engaged so you are in a happy relationship um and to, to hear you say that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, well, thank you for your advice, Luke. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so you do, you, do, you do a bit of boxing, Luke, <laughs> and even had a fight, which, which you won. Yep. That's right. right yep. Uh, for you, who is the GOAT and who is the most exciting to watch right now? Because there are a lot of boxing going on, you know, even the high, top level, but also the... Uh, KSI, Tommy uh, Fury, you know, Jake Paul, you know, those ones. Who's who's most exciting and who's the GOAT? Oh, yeah, so I've, I guess of the boxing world, to be honest, I don't I don't watch heaps of mm. boxing, but I do I do watch enough to I guess maybe form an opinion. Um I think who's the most exciting to watch at the moment? Um I really liked the, oh, I think um, uh, Usyk. Oh. He is the current W, one of the belts. There's two okay. of them, WBA or I, I can't remember. Mm. Um, champion, heavyweight champion. Okay. Um, and I really like his story because he came up the weight class um, through uh, through like the middle and light and then and then up to heavyweight um, and was just the best, you know? So good. He'd been in everybody. He's got all of the belts and the, um, and the weight grade below uh, the heavyweight. Um, undeniably the GOAT yeah. of that weight class wow. at least. Um, and, uh, and then he, um, like not a huge dude, like, uh, but then he came up a, a grade and he was like fighting all these dudes um and then there was um 
uh, uh, one of the guys, uh, AJ, um, a UK boxer, also a heavyweight, he was trying to fight Tyson Fury and they were trying to have like this thing. Mm. Tyson Fury had just beaten Dante Wilder like two or three times by now or he was just about to do it. And then Usyk was coming up through the heavyweight, like knocking out all these big dudes. Yeah. Maybe not knocking out, but like beating them. And everyone was like, there's no way that Usyk can beat one of the top dudes. Right? Yeah. There's no way. He's just too small. Like rah, rah, rah. Um, and he got a fight with AJ. Is that um, Anthony Joshua? Anthony Joshua. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, it was cool to watch him beat Anthony Joshua. He beat him? Yes. Yeah. Because um, no one thought he was going to do it. They were like, there's no way. Like, Joshua's, like, too big. Yeah, like, he's huge. Yeah. And Usyk beat him. And then they had a rematch. Yeah. And everyone was like, he's going to come back and he'll win it again. He'll win the belt back. They're talking about Anthony Joshua. Yeah. yeah. And then Usyk beat him again. And it's beat just like, it was just, it was just so good to see him, like, come through obviously be super talented yeah and so good at boxing that like the size disadvantage like um didn't didn't make like obviously had an impact on how the fight went but like he was still good enough to to win yeah so that's who that's an exciting boxer to watch yeah i'm hoping that he'll fight tyson fury one day yeah because tyson fury is also like an interesting guy yeah um and the goat, who's the goat? I mean, um, it, there's like Floyd Mayweather, obviously like mm. undefeated. Um, just he's also a really interesting story. Yeah, because he came from like this brawler kind of style where he just punched hard and like right. really like went for it, and then he's kind of matured into this like super tactical defensive boxer. Yeah, that's like impossible to beat. Yeah. Um, I think people would call him the goat. I'll just go for it. I don't think yeah. I know enough about boxing to like Floyd. Yeah. What about Mike Tyson? Mike Tyson is an animal. Yeah. That guy's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause he went to prison for a while and then he came out and he was just like, he, yeah, like <laughs> every time he fights, it looks like he's going to kill someone. Yeah. You know, like, um, and he did beat a bunch of really good boxers. Another boxer I like is um, oh, the British guy. What's his name? Uh, oh, yeah, the dreadlocks. Mm. I think he. I think he beat Mike Tyson as well. Oh shit! Sure. I don't know. It's an older guy. Yeah, I can't remember his name. I can see his face right. in the um, Lennox Lewis. Okay. Lennox Lewis is really cool. Because um, he's like uh, this British dude with like dreadlocks, and, yeah. And like he speaks like a British man, <laughs> um, and he's just like a really calculated boxer, yeah. And he definitely beat Mike Tyson. I think he beat Mike Tyson out of Tyson's prime, though. Right, right, right. But still, yeah. Um, and he beat. Uh, I think David Tour also tried to fight uh, Mike Tyson. Oh, sorry, uh, Lennox Lewis. Okay. Um, but he got he got pounded. Yeah. Ah. So. Okay, okay. So Usyk for the most exciting. And yeah, for I liked the, his story. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe Floyd for the GOAT. Floyd for the GOAT. Just as a safe bet, I think. Like, it'd be hard. But, yeah, people got the opinions, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's undefeated. And he's up there, right? He's yeah. up there as a totally. as a GOAT talk. So, uh, 
Well, thank thank you, Luke, for the for the answer. And number four, yes. um, now that the big balls doesn't exist anymore, yep. where is your favorite food place? Food place. I'm trying to think who I want to shout out. <laughs> um, who is doing good stuff? I went to this ramen place the other day mm. on. Um, oh, what street is it? I think Albert Street. Okay. Bottom of Albert Street. Um, it's called Ichiban Ramen. Okay. It's not the franchise one that exists in Sylvia Park. Mm. It's this little one just in town in this little thing. And um, I think it's the most authentic mm. miso ramen I've had yeah. in New Zealand. Like it was it was top notch. Um, and I, I went to Japan recently. And so I was just, we went there for dinner and with my sister and and i was like wow this is so good yeah like i think as authentic as you can get in new zealand i reckon that's awesome ichiban ramen ichiban ramen uh on the bottom of the cbd around i think i think it's albert street okay yeah there is another ramen place just one minute from here tonkotsu ramen oh yeah have you been there um, I don't know if I've been to the Tonkotsu. I think it's called Tonkotsu. It's a, I think it's on the other side of this building. And it's um and that also feels really authentic. It's a yeah. smaller place. Yeah. Ran run by Japanese. Yeah. And yeah, just the vibe over there is feels super authentic. I might have to give it a go. I love ramen. Yeah, I love ramen too. <laughs> so yeah, I'll have to get the Ichib and Ramen go. Yeah, definitely. They're yeah. Tonkatsu ramen, just the actual dish. Yeah, yeah. Also delicious. Okay. Okay. Well, the big balls have to come back for, for you know, for a pop up. Yeah. As a pop up. Like, something at some point. Yeah. It'll be, uh, <laughs> it'll be a, a long break between. We'll have to do a few practice rounds. <laughs> to, to get, like, get our, um, you know, brush all the rust off. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, so. Yeah, we were saying earlier at the start, I've known you for 11 years, Luke, because yeah. I first met you in 2012. Looking back at yourself back then, so for, you know, um, 2012, Luke, yeah. what's something you have learned through all those, all these years? I mean, I've, I've learned a lot of things, but... I think one thing that that I try to uh, always keep in the back of my mind, or to like try to like always um, hold on to, is that like life's life's not that serious, you know. For most people, it's not that serious. Yeah. Um, and so, you know. And maybe it's a bit of a privileged thing to say because, like, some people are—they don't have the luxury of of not taking things seriously. But I think I think a lot of people out there are stressing about things that they don't need to stress about, and like really worried about you know, work or 
family stuff or you know there's and i think it doesn't need to be serious let's just like don't worry about it so much mm. um and that's not to say that you'd like don't put the required effort in or you know slack off or um you know don't listen to people but it's like i guess don't forget to have a laugh on the way right yeah try to have a bit of fun you know <laughs> otherwise otherwise it's going to be a dreary dreary life yeah. is that like a learned lesson um i think so but based off observation right yeah i think i've seen a lot of people uh, uh older people who maybe have taken the serious approach and then other people who have taken a bit more of the lighthearted approach mm. um and i think i like aligned to that that lightheartedness a bit more than than the serious one i suppose some people are a bit more serious by nature but yeah take it easy have cut yourself some slack you know yeah you don't have to, you don't have to do everything perfect every time <laughs> like yeah oh maybe this is actually it if it's worth doing it's worth doing badly that's actually, <laughs> that's actually one thing i do a lot um and the the thing what, what i'm saying there is I, i heard somebody say it at some point but it's like you know if it's worth doing you should do it even if it's gonna be a bad job you know so like right um i guess maybe like brushing your teeth would be a good example it's good to brush your teeth yeah um so it's it's it, it's better to brush them properly but what's better than not brushing them brushing them a little bit yeah you know? it's like, it's, if it's worth doing it's yeah. worth doing a bad job of it right know? right because like a, at least you've done something yeah isn't there a saying if it's worth doing it's worth doing well yeah is that so yeah. you've you've kind of put a spin on that yeah i definitely it's definitely stealing it from someone yeah there. yeah <laughs> Yeah, because I think, and this is how that other person explained it, was like, it kind of, it, when you put the pressure on to do it properly every single mm. time, you don't allow yourself space for failure or for a bad version of it, because you're like, uh, um, you know, like, uh, uh, presumably you're going to get better and better at beca at a pod podcast hosting, mm. right? But you think it's worthwhile you pursuing the podcast thing, so it's worth doing a bad job of podcasting you know because if you do it again you might you do it better and better and better yeah. right so like anything that's worth doing is worth doing badly <laughs> because yeah doing it at all is better than not doing it that's true right yeah that's true well it's been a pleasure having you on look awesome and there was a really interesting conversation and uh i think that's a perfect quote to end it on <laughs> you know yeah cut the first bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll have both on it's a, it's a good quote to end it on nice so nice. yeah guys if you if it's worth doing it's worth doing badly you heard it here first from luke mcleod yeah it's definitely on something <laughs> if you listen to this first then yeah it was me yeah it was him yeah otherwise if you heard it from somewhere else then yeah it was there and then yeah translated yeah. by i guess it depends yeah well um That's it. Well, thanks, Luke, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get out of here. Let's do it. Let's do it. See, see, see ya. Bye. Bye.